All right, we're here, everybody. Get ready for Coco Talk. Going live in three, two, one. Coco Talk is an unscripted live broadcast. Anything can and will happen. The views and opinions expressed by members of the panel and the live audience are their own and not necessarily those of the Coco Talk show, its sponsors, affiliates, or subsidiaries. Open minds encourage, sense of humor recommended. If any off color comments were made, we're sorry. Hi, this is Dale Leader, designer of TRS-80 Color Baseball, and you're listening to Coco Talk. This is Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. It's time to drop your socks and grab your real-time clocks, and let's rock. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world. All right, everybody, we are here with Coco Talk episode one, two, three. The main topic today is going to be the Coco community and its evolvement. Are you ready? Have you got anything better to do today? Alrighty then, we are here, everyone, welcome, one and all, children, boys and girls, ladies and gentlemen, children of all ages, we are here with another live episode of Coco Talk, the world's leading live podcast featuring the Tandy Color Computer, the only live talk show in the history of the Tandy Color Computer, and what can I say, it's one of my personal favorites. we got a great panel here today, we've got all kinds of people. Uh, from all kinds of places. We've got live chat going on right now, people chatting. Let's start in the top left-hand corner of our panel. We're just going to introduce ourselves by names. We'll get uh, into some other things later in the show, but how about we start with our streaming engineer, the guy who makes the show possible whenever I'm not available to, and he's just a, a, a damn well-dressed guy, too, in his Radio Shack shirt. How about Mr. Mark Bosley in the house? How are you today, Mark? Hello. Doing good. Welcome to the program. So glad you could make it. You ha you didn't have anything better to do today, apparently. So we're Dad. glad that you are here. Uh, we've also got a guy who's wearing another nice shirt. He's wearing a Coco Talk shirt. I like that shirt, Mark D. Overholzer, our resident Apple guy. How you doing, Mark D.? I'm doing fine. Glad to be here. We are glad to have you. Uh, we've got a person who's been with the Coco community for at least a couple of weeks now. I think he knows a thing or two about the past and the present of the Coco community. Uh, Mr. Thank You, You're Too Kind, Mr. Rick Adams is with us. Hello, Rick. Thank you, thank you, and thank you. Thank you. You're too kind. Okay. <laughs> now, Hello, we got a guy who's got more sponsorships going on back there. I think you need another logo. It's like a NASCAR or something. It's walking the red carpet or one of these things going back here. So he's got the Tandy Calor computer, the TDPs, the Tandy Shack, the Coco Talk Live. He's wearing a Radio Shack t-shirt. And what kind of hat you got there, too? Is that a Commodore hat? 
That's uh, Wyoming. Uh, Wyoming. <laughs> All right. Terry Steggy's in the house. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Uh, and there's no product placement on this show. We'll have you know, right? Unless it's Terry Steggy's. I'm going to delete myself and put something else there. <laughs> <laughs> now, we have not had the pleasure of his company in quite some time, and the news world has suffered for it. But from O, Canada, it is L, Curtis Boyle. Welcome back, Curtis. Hello, everyone. I'm a, a little bit tired from all the overtime I've worked in the last couple of weeks, so if I pause unnecessarily and, and nod off, you'll know why. All right. Well, we're glad to have you. The world of news has missed your correspondence in your anchorage. So welcome back, L. Curtis. We got the guy who brought us live breaking coverage from the Radio Shack store, and he's also wearing a very sharp, sharp shirt there, Mr. Joe Burnett. Welcome back, Joe. Hey, guys. How's it going? Good. Great to have you. I love that shirt. Uh, we got a man whose name is so nice, we must say it thrice, fellow Canadian who pronounces it Calor. Nick Marota, Nick Marota, Nick Marota. Hello. Good afternoon. This is definitely a highlight of my week, and that is how sad my life has become. <laughs> <laughs> well, I can echo that sentiment. Um the guy who's usually got things that he's picked up along the way that makes us all jealous. He's here to join us, Mr. Brian Weasler's with us. Hello, Brian. Hello, all. Oh, I like that mug. More product placement. Shameful, shameful, shameful. We're going down to the bottom of the panel now from Arizona, home of Rob Inman. We're also joined by Rob's neighbor, Rom Delvo. Hello, I'm uh, in Parks, Arizona. I only have two clicks on my phone. I can hear you good, but I can go picture-wise. I don't uh, know if you can even hear me. We can hear you, Ron, loud and clear. And thanks for being here out uh, in parks and recreation. Yeah, I'm also in it. For, I've been around for a long, long time in the cocoa community and stuff, but just pretty much on my own, you know, and in local. And then I was on Comptor, but that's about it. Uh I'll try and contribute. Okay. I'm being told that my audio is really loud. Okay, so I'm going to lower my audio. Testies, one, two. Testies, 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 one, two. All right. Let me know if that audio feeds any better there, Jason Downs. Welcome, Ron Devo. Uh, we have royalty in the house, the lord of the floppies, the duke of digital media and analog storage, none other than Sir David Ladd. Welcome back to the program, David. Welcome back to the program, David. Welcome back to the program, David. All right, so three strikes and you're out. Somebody, <laughs> David Ladd has stepped away. Yes, yes. Think you had to. Think you had to put another. Uh, had to put another circuit board in the frying pan. He'll be back here momentarily. Find something else better. I'm back, David Ladd. Welcome the to the program. Pros on me. Ah, pros on me. All right, that's I'm good. here. Thank you for having me. Is everybody ready? Are we ready to rock and roll this <laughs> session? Oh, yeah. Let's do it. Yes, Let's do are. it. Let's all get pumped up. Let's rock and roll. All right. That I've, was... I've missed David Ladd's over-enthusiasm almost as much as the Black Plague. <laughs> Back a little. Yes, much like a festering cold sore, David Ladd is here. Uh, so... <laughs> Speaking of festering from down under, <laughs> our one of our many uh, Australian panel members. Good eye, Nicholas Morentes. Good eye, everyone. How are you? We're doing good. We're doing good. Thanks for joining us. And last but certainly not least, our special guest 
of the hour. Our special guest today, some of you met him at VCF West. I'm going to try not to butcher your name, but it is Air Turk Kokolar. Yes? Hi, Close? that was perfect. Um, nice to be here. Nice to meet you all of you. Welcome. Um, yeah, <laughs> it sounds very exciting. Well, we're glad to have you. And um, thank you for being here. And uh, it was uh, Tony Capolini who has tried to put together this meeting, I guess. Was Tony there with you? at? Uh, Tony was at VCF West as well, right? Yeah, he was. He, he right. wasn't helping the table, but he's local. And right, so Tony was there. So Tony w Tony had suggested that, we, you know, could we try to interview you or talk to you during the broadcast? Uh, we were streaming live from there, and, and understand you've got a project you're going to share with us, Air Turk. Um, why don't you start off first by since we'll 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 work backwards. You were just at VCF West recently. Was that your first time going to one of these um, vintage computing shows, or have you been to many in in the past? Uh, yeah, actually, before I I do want to thank Tony for introducing me and you for putting me on the show. And uh, yes, VCF was the first. This year was the first time I actually been to and. Um, I live in, you know, Silicon Valley. I've always seen it, always wanted to go. There was always something coming up. And this year, you know, the Retro Shield project that I did was a good excuse to be there and actually present it. Uh, and uh, throughout the whole two days, uh, I met a lot of people, uh, which is nice for this type of work uh, in community. Excellent, excellent. So why don't you tell us a little bit about your backstory? Are you old enough to have been alive in the 80s? You look kind of young. So. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'm old, actually. Uh, I was going to mention a couple of things. And <laughs> okay. Maybe you guys will figure it out. Uh, yes. I did uh, grow up in the 1980s, you know, early and late. Um, and I'm from Turkey. Um, probably my name gives it. Um, it's from a town in the south uh, middle part, like south part of the Turkey, where like, you know, Cyprus kind of points a finger at Turkey. Right there is a town called Adana. And um, there's actually a U.S. engineering -like base in there. During the Gulf War, you may have seen that place or, uh, you know, it must have been talked a lot uh, at that time. Um, so we had some slides. Um, I'll just start and then Tony, when I ta say we can just uh, start looking at them. Um, the computers I grew up on were uh, Auric Atmos 48K. I don't know if you, has anybody heard about it? No. Auric? No? So it's a French uh, computer. And at that time, uh, our choices were either ZX Sinclair Spectrum or Auric. And uh, for some reason, my dad chose Auric. I don't know why, but I'm glad he did that because uh, the only thing I got was a book and the computer. It came with a demo game. That's it. Uh, on the other hand, uh, Spectrum had a lot of games out there. So I was thinking if I had gotten the Spectrum, I would have probably just like, you know, spent my time on gaming and not enough programming. Okay. Yeah. Um, and then um, let me know if I'm going into too much detail or not. You know, people are feel free to, you know, ask me questions. Um, you know, we'll see. Okay. Okay, so you uh, yeah. so your so your first computer was this uh, Auric Atmos, which I have not heard of, but Al Hartman just said he did. 
And yeah, I think I that I think that's a similar story for a lot of us with the color computer. We got we started off with the computer and the book. And even though there were games, I think a lot of us, myself, you know, we we dug into the basic. Did that was it basic when you turned on that computer? Yes, yes. Uh, what kind of processor was it? Like a Z80 processor or it was a 6502. Oh, interesting. Okay. Yeah, and basic, you know, simple graphics, uh, same as. Uh, Others, you know, save to disk, sorry, save to cassette. You know, it came with a disk drive, but we didn't have it. Mm -hmm. and it was a lot of like typing basic stuff and doing what the program did and then modify it and, um, you know, do that well, kind like of stuff. I like the black and orange keyboard. Did you have exactly. Yeah. I have one actually I could show. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. Just a second. Yeah. That'd be cool. Yeah. I'm not, I've not heard of that machine. Auric. Anybody else hear of Auric? Yeah. No, no. I've heard of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm. Yep, I, I have an Auric. Oh, you have one? Yeah, not the orange one. I think the first ones were white, weren't they? The uh, you probably have the one, yeah, Auric yeah, yeah. one, yeah, the very first one, yeah. Yeah, it actually looks very cool for you know the color wise. Uh, oh wow, look at that! It looks it looks somewhat like a Spectrum. Yeah, it's yeah. to make a keyboard just like that. <laughs> looks like and there was like a nice keyboard. Yeah. yeah. Almost like the TI ninety nine. Yeah, that's that's a good quality. Cool. Good quality yeah. keyboard. Look at that. We got we got, <laughs> we got some color. Now look at their arrow keys. That isn't way, way different. So you got up and down on the opposite sides of the space bar Ooh. and then left and right. That is a perversion yeah. of arrow key um synchronicity here. Um that I mean look at that, dude. You got up, down, left. It's just weird. It's different, right? So you definitely had to be two handed. Games, Having them separate on two hands definitely helped with. Yeah, you should have heard Rob. <laughs> should have heard Rob Inman's rant on on the whole arrow key thing the other night on Discord. It was interesting. So, <laughs> is that a is that an expansion slot on the back of it? Um, so on the front, uh, that's where the power came in. This was the expansion port, like for hard drives and stuff like that. Mm. I forgot what this is. Let's see. There should be a text someplace. Uh, Oh, it's a printer. So it had an expansion port in here. Printer. I don't know if you can see it. Maybe a little it's bit. Yeah, like yeah, yeah, like a pin. Like, this look like yeah, pin connectors. Yeah. Yeah. Like a ribbon cable would go in there or something. Right. Exactly. And this was uh, the tape. Okay. Uh, you had that... to build like an adapter cable. Looks like ours. That's... the same as our uh, interface. It looks similar. It's kind of a DIN style connector. Although that's that's more seven. of a seven, seven pins. Seven yeah, pins. Yeah. Hmm. I I built the cable too. Yeah, actually, I could maybe try it later. Yeah, on. and, and then, is that like RF out on that on that RCA jack there? Yeah, that's RF. That's RGB. RF was a. This is a, in Europe, you know, PALT system. Okay. Um, I don't know if they ever made an NTSC compliant version, but uh. Hmm. So that's yeah. your original, or did you reacquire that later on? One of them is my original, and the other one's actually, uh, I bought a second one. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's just a lot of memories. I think yeah. a lot of these projects are good memories, you know? Uh, Absolutely, so, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's what I did. Um, and there was actually a problem with this computer. Uh, if you can tell, I put a tape on this side. Yes, yeah. It's because uh, the power plug was plugged in there and if you're not careful you could actually touch the uh expansion port pins in there and you can short stuff um, ah yeah so that was a common problem i actually messed up the first one and it was fixed mm. uh, interesting yeah. machine yeah i had never seen that before yeah. so now i want to see it powered on 
Yeah. <laughs> Give me that hey, for another next. Uh, yeah, there you go. And yeah. what 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 flavor of basic did it have? It was it was it a Microsoft basic or some other just generic basic? That's a good question. I don't remember top of my head. Are there emulators for that system? I would imagine. Yeah, there are. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Oh, there we go. Yeah. I think it's a name too, isn't it? Okay. Yeah, it might be worth looking into. Yeah. So that's like for you, that was your first computer. Like for a lot of us, the color computer was our first computer. So that's your first love right there, right? So Exactly, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. Yeah, yeah. And then um, the other nice thing about being close to a U.S. base was um, there was a couple of stores in a, in my hometown where like, you know, they would go buy stuff from the base. And like I played with Simon, the color game. And then the I had a TI professor calculator that, taught you how to you know do the uh, arithmetic even my dad was electrical engineer as well he had like an ic master catalogs i don't know if you guys know um they had these thick books of data sheets in there like i remember all the microprocessors the national uh, a lot of stuff in there i would just like you know scroll through and learn through those uh, that's how i became an electrical engineer afterwards um thanks my dad so you're you're a hardware guy by trade then that's exactly. Yeah, I'm an electrical, yeah, hardware guy. I um, my BS is in electrical engineering. All my jobs are electrical engineering. Um, I do firmware slash software because you know it's good to make hardware do stuff, and <laughs> that's where I stop. Like, I don't go above the firmware, like the apps and things like that. But um, the combination of these two is actually a lot of fun for me. So when when you started, like you you mentioned, you got the ORC and you were programming BASIC on it because you didn't have any you know third party software and stuff like that. Did you get into the hardware on the ORC fairly early on too, or did you be, do the software stuff first for a while and then get to the hardware? No, I I didn't actually touch the ORC a lot because if it was broken, I would be in trouble. But I did a lot of uh, <laughs> uh, I did a lot of uh, you know hardware projects on my own. Um, Initially started with uh, you know simple LED circuits, then five five fives, and then just grew up there. And when I got to high school, that's where I, I started building uh, microcomputers. Uh, you know the six five four two Z eighty. These were chips. Sometimes the Motorola chips, sixty eight zero three. And I remember sixty eight HC eleven was too expensive at the time, but I was able to get one. Um, so. So was that a course they taught you in high school as how to build your own computer? They had a um, microcomputer class, just one class. And then, um, you know, the professor actually loved Motorola CPU. So he made us use 6803 and uh, it's just one class, but it's, you know, they did, they did teach it. Yeah. Wow, I don't know. I don't know too many high schools around in North America here that teach you how to make a computer. They might teach you. Oh, sorry, program. not high school. This was a university. Correct. At oh. high school, yeah, high school. No, it was all on my own. Oh, okay. I misunderstood. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Yeah. So the project you have now is this your first foray into creating a, a new hybrid, old and new? Hardware project? Have you been doing hardware things for a while? Yeah, so I had a lot of uh, built. Let me see, um, Steve. Do you have this slide uh, deck, or do you want? Me I to do. I can switch over yeah. to it if you'd like. Yes, let me. Uh... Yeah, let's go to slide number four. Okay. So I have a couple of pictures of the projects I've done. Uh, mostly, 
microprocessor based ones. Uh, uh, so their number right here. Is this it right here? Yes, that's the one. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so these are some of your projects. We have an EEPROM program, EEPROM programmer, a yeah. 6502, a 68HC11, and then a 6809. And these are the ones that kind of survived, especially that the EEPROM programmer was from my high school. And I did that to build, you know, I remember it was a Z80 microcomputer, and I didn't have a way to program the EEPROM. And, you know, I just do, did one by one, uh, you know, uh, I guess everybody has done this type of stuff, right? Uh, you just build it and make it work. Well, not everybody, but uh, <laughs> some people have. <laughs> I haven't done any. A, I've never touched a soldering iron in my life. So. I'm not a hardware guy either. <laughs> yeah. Some people have and will never do it again. Mm. <laughs> yes. No, I still cool. have I love it. mine, but. Yeah. So I remember like a programming it was like a 1k or 2k monitor room and you made a mistake and there was no way to erase the byte easily and i remember on z80 the knob operation is zero zero so you could go to zero zero and then kind of like readjust your monitor code and it was a lot of painful but fun times in the time <laughs> so i mean like started like building almost uh, a processor based uh, you know hardware for for a long time and then it got to the point where Initially, I was wiring everything by hand, and then I started building PCBs, you know, sometimes breadboard, breadboarding, things like that. But I came to the realization that I spend a lot of time cooking up the ROM, the RAM, the IO, all the power supply stuff, and I have to figure out how to do the, you know, programming. And then, you know, if I need to build something and make it work, then I come up with another idea. Hey, should I try this? But then it's another way of, okay, I got to build you know, more hardware, hook up more wires and test it. And it got to the point where like, I need to be lazy. <laughs> <laughs> and, and one of my first managers told me like the best engineer is the lazy one because you know, you'll automate the stuff so you can just watch things happen. Right. Instead of, uh, doing it yourself. They call that working smarter, not harder, right? But yeah, <laughs> I, I like to be honest too and say, yeah, I am lazy by default. So my brain always looks for the quickest path and my body likes to do the least amount of labor whenever possible. So, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, cool. And then, uh, so after I came to US, so I built 6502, and then I started looking at, you know, what else should I build? And looking at Motorola, I built 6803, but then I noticed 6809. The the moment I looked into details, I was like, wow, how come nobody knew about this processor? You know, it's like very high end. There's everything in there that you want in an 8-bit microprocessor. Or uh, so I started building stuff with 6809. The first project I did was Simon. Is John Linwell uh, online? He's not, right? But you guys know him. Yeah, we know him. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know if he, he's not in the panel. He may or may not be watching. But yeah, we. we okay. Yeah. yeah. So I built the Simon 6809. It's the next uh, slide number five. Okay. I'll just give an example of a couple of these 6809s and then jump to RetroShield quickly. But the know, idea here was, oh, okay. The idea for me was I need to make this as easy as possible for me to, you know, play with this microprocessor. So at that time, FTTI chip was, you know, very popular. And then I decided to build a uh, computer or like a mini computer that gets connected to the computer and that's it. I could do everything from that. And 
hence the Simon was born. It's, you know, 32K RAM, 8K ROM. I used a monitor code from Leonard. Uh, it has an internal assembler and disassembler and everything is powered from the USB. So you plug it in, open up the terminal and you can do, you know, coding and stuff like that. And I played with this a lot, you know, to learn about 6809. Um, then I decided, or, you know, I, then I found out about the Cocoa processors. So I got some, and then I found out about these, you know, high level uh, OSs like a Flex and OS9 and et cetera. And I thought, wouldn't it be cool to build a computer that I can run this on? And that's when the Simon Turbo came up. It's the next slide, number six, um, which is, okay, everything is now needs to be high tech, you know, like I need to have an SD card, USB would be good. And, you know, and I needed this to be modular so I can build stuff on top of each other. Um, so I built this, you know, it's very hacky, but it worked. Um, I was able to port Flex 6109 or Flex 09 um, and run it from RAM disk. Um, the module on the top with the USB ports and SD card was, um, this was before Arduino came out, I believe. So these guys made it easy to connect the USB devices and SD card. I never got it to work in because it was not that simple. Um, but I maybe I might have gotten the SD card working. I don't remember. But then they realized like, hey, this has gotten out of touch. Like it's too complicated. I, I need to build, you know, something more simple. Um, that's when the, our, the RetroShield idea came up. Um, what if I, I said, what if I keep the processor? Because there's a lot of emulators, but you know, it's, it's good to try it, but it doesn't, it's not the same feeling. So I said, I want to keep the processor, but what if I might emulate everything with another microprocessor? Um, so I built a couple of things. It was like 2006 and 2008. And my initial board was to support 6502, 6809 and Z80 at the same time. Wow. And um, I got it to work. Let me see if I can show you a picture, but it looked ugly. Um, it's not on the next slide on this thing I have right now, does it or no? No, uh, let me see. So maybe I'll share this. Um, is this good? Interesting? Yeah. 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 Okay. We're, we're learning about the evolution of this. Now, this is cool. Yeah. I mean, this looks like a nice little double decker. Oh, wow. Exactly. Yeah. Look at so all that these. That was the first <laughs> retro shield. <laughs> well, so these are like your pin connectors for your different CPUs. Exactly. Yeah. You could only plug one. But you had multiple the pin sockets then. So you could just switch out which one. Say it again. You you staggered the socket pins there, so you could just plug in, like you said, one at a time. Exactly. Yeah. All the data buses and the you know are shared. A few control signals. I have to like. Uh, yeah. Exactly. Okay, that's really cool. That's right. Yeah. What I like about this, even though I'm not a hardware guy, electronics guy, because I can see the traces, you can kind of see where these pin connectors are going. So it's a little bit visual, you know. Yeah. Exactly. And uh, this was good. Then I came up, hey, there are other more processors. So like if I add one more, one more, this thing's gonna grow and you know. Actually, <laughs> hold on, hold, hold, that, hold that frame right now. I just realized something that, okay, I need to make that bigger. Okay. Um, 
the way I was saying before, people couldn't see it as, as clearly. All right. Yeah. So I that's... have a question before we go on to the next part. But yeah. uh, you have this little uh, thing etched on the board. It says, big brain controls small brain. What's the story behind that? <laughs> <laughs> there was a joke. Uh, it's a Turkish guy. If you have, do we have time for a joke? Sure. Oh, go ahead. Yeah. As no. long as it's not funny, because we have not had anything funny on this show so far. So. Okay. <laughs> so this guy goes to a zoo and goes to the aquarium section. By the way, this guy is Turkish. And he comes across this fish, a school of fish. And on the you know top, it says uh, this. Be careful. This uh, um, You can control these fish by looking at them and because human brain is bigger than the fish brain you can like if you move to the left or to the right you know they will follow you and the turkish guy sees one of any questions now we're, we're... Yeah. So the turkish <laughs> waiting guy to see like... where this goes <laughs> in the beginning like he's very uh suspicious so he stands stands outside you know somebody else comes in he stares that person stares at the fish for uh like uh, 10 seconds fish all pile up you know come together facing the person and then the, that person moves to the right the fish follow him and then the person moves to the left the fish follow him to the left and our turkish guy is like very impressed he said i'm gonna try the same thing too after that person leaves he goes in front of the you know the the window starts staring at the fish the fish come together they stare at the this person the turkish guy and you know, like 30 seconds, one minute, two minutes, nobody moves. The Turkish, Turkish guy is still staring. And then suddenly the fish move to the left and the Turkish guy moves to the left. <laughs> <laughs> so that's where the story came from. Uh, that's, I, I, somehow like that joke stuck with me. <laughs> In this case, I don't know who's the big frame brain, but we have Arduino and we have the 6502 or 6809. And, uh, I, I just put that comment there. Okay. Big brain. In this case, is probably the 6809 is controlling Arduino, even though Arduino is more powerful than the <laughs> 6809. So when the 6809 moves right, the Arduino moves right too. That's exactly. A... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, good stuff. Good stuff. All right. Okay. So there it is. All right, so you want me to switch back to the, yeah. the slide? Okay, there we so go. So the next step was, okay, how do I make this prototype you know, in a cleaner way and I can you know, make it open for different types of processors? And let's see. Go ahead. Um, do I switch slides, projects, and yeah, goals of RetroField? Yeah, look at the goal, yeah. Okay. So I talked about the first idea, you know, keep a microprocessor, physical one, make it easy. I'll talk about why I chose uh, Arduino later on. But the other thing I wanted to do with this was, you know, definitely make it open source, hardware-wise and software-wise, because I've seen, you know, there's actually a lot of cool stuff out there, and I'm glad it lives over there, right? Um, if you guys know, uh, in Silicon Valley, there was a surplus store called Halted, and you go in there, you know, there's a lot of old stuff, and you can, the smell is there, right? But because of uh, the rents are so high, that place shut down. It's like mm. a part of Silicon Valley history and like the first thing that came to my mind we should have turned that place into a museum you know like where the a lot of stuff happened like yeah we would go there every Saturday pick up parts and things like that so I wanted to contribute you know give back that was one thing 
Um, the second one is uh, make PCBs available. This is a, an experiment I'm doing uh, because stuff is simple for people to breadboard, breadboard it in there like a one night. Um, but also if somebody wants to get a PCB, I want to make that option because I always felt somebody makes a great computer, posts it online, but I can't build it because you know they use a PCB, complicated PCB, or it's a lot of wiring that I didn't want to deal with. Um, so that kind of like uh, you know made uh, the end result was the Retro Shield. So we can go to next slide number eight. Are you guys familiar with Arduino? Some no. of us are for sure. Yeah, it's a very nice uh, development platform. You know, like. Uh, you can do a lot of hardware projects, you know, a lot of software stuff. There's a great support out there. Um, it's very extendable with uh, using Arduino shields. The picture has a LCD plus a button shield. You can get like SD cards, Ethernet, Wi-Fi, audio. What else? Um, there's so many different kinds of stuff out there. You can control robots, um, things like that. It's done in C. Um, there's a bootloader. It's similar to Simon 69, where like you know you write on the of obviously this is much better, uh, but you know there's an ID. You write your code, push a button, it gets downloaded, and you can get the serial output uh, back and write your command. So what I did was I designed a single card for each microprocessor. This one is showing 6502. We won't hold and that I against you. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I know. I thought a lot about it. <laughs> I was going to paint black on it and write 1609. <laughs> but then I, then I had to fix the silk screen as well. I'm like, I'm not going to. Uh, that's fine. We get the idea. Yeah. It looks uh, nice. Yeah, yeah. Just uh, realize he has a board for the 6809E also. So. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so couple of things about Arduino, you know, it's a 16 megahertz, one six megahertz processor, has a, a lot of flash, but very limited RAM, only 8K. Uh, best thing is it's five volt tolerant, which all of these, you know, most of these 8-bit processors are. Um, and um, what happens is um, basically, let's see, where's the next slide? Um, you want me to switch to number nine? Uh, let me give me like 10 seconds. So okay. basically, most of the CPU signals are connected to the Arduino, and Arduino drives the clock and you know does what the CPU wants to do. So that's the idea. And I'm going to go into detail in a few slides later, but uh, okay. let's look at the number nine. This shows a summary of all the processors I have supported so far. OK, so 6502, you can do an Apple one. Yes. What does mon mean, monitor? Monitor, correct. Monitor yes, basic. Sir. Okay. And the Apple cassette interface ROM. Um, okay. So monitor is the WASMO, and basically you can do three things, you know, edit, read memory, and run. Okay. Um, basic is, you know, it has an 8K ROM to run uh, integer basic. And the Apple cassette ROM interface was uh, basically to read and write from the cassette, and the Apple One hardware uses... Um, like a different frequency for one and another different frequency for zero. And I can run that ROM. And what I did was emulate actually generating the sound part of it. And somebody else, if they have time, maybe they can write the you know Arduino code to emulate 
reading from the cassette part of it. Hmm. Now, is that the actual ROMs from the Apple One that you're using there? Like that exactly, monitor? Exactly. Yeah. No, exactly. You, you like call negative one five one, it would pop up the the monitor if you're in basic type thing, like the Apple One did. Yeah, everything's uh, yeah. So, uh, the CPU is executing all the. I want to say almost. So as much as possible, I use the same ROMs, the exact ROMs, and the way I kind of like to make a trade off is uh, sometimes I need to emulate the hardware. And maybe let's go to slide. Uh, Let's look at that. Can you go to slide 11? Um, mm -hmm. Yeah, so this is showing the signals wise, you know, which I talked about, you know, I drive the E and Q signals, the reset, and then I look at the, you know, read write address data. And if needed, I can also drive the, the interrupt lines. Um, so what happens is uh, the processor drives the clock signals and looks at what the processor is trying to do, whether it's a read or write, from what, which address. And if it's a read, it'll look at the address range. And if it's coming from the ROM, I have the whole ROM embedded in the Arduino code. It'll take the, according, the, the corresponding byte and feed it to the processor. And then if the processor is trying to write to a memory location, it'll capture the byte and then save it in the RAM. And then just keeps doing this over and over again. When it comes to the peripherals, for example, the Apple One has 6821 that it uses for the, the screen out and the keyboard in. What I do is uh, when the processor is reading from those special registers, Arduino detects it. And if the, if for example, if you go, if it's, if the CPU is writing to the outgoing register, Arduino will feed that byte also to the Arduino serial port. So you see it on the terminal on your PC. And if you press a button on the PC side, the Arduino will set the, the 6821 registers accordingly. So when the CPU, you know, through the ROM code checks if there's a character pressed or not, then it can, you know, receive the character. So so is it all uh, terminal based then? Like there's no video driver that you've got on the Arduino to drive its own video on HDMI or? For Apple One, correct. I will get to video later on. And to answer your question, um, so I keep the ROM intact as much as possible, but sometimes it's very difficult to emulate the hardware. Um, for example, we brought up Commodore 64 on the 6502 platform and emulating the VIC was very difficult. So what we did was you know, we modified the ROM areas a little bit. So instead of the byte going to screen, it actually goes to a special address and Arduino detects that address and then, you know, handles it accordingly. So I make these kind of small modifications as needed. Otherwise it's, you know, like for Apple one, as far as I remember, all the ROMs are intact. I don't touch them. Uh, but if you go back to um, slide number nine, Kim one, I do remember modifying a couple of bytes to, um, because Kim one expects a, a break character in the beginning or like some uh, initial states, and I bypass them by changing those uh, commands to no operations. So I do this type of minor stuff, but otherwise it's the original ROM as much as possible. Hmm. Yeah. So. You know, I do 6809E. Um, I ran Simon 
uh, on a Z80. I also emulate 68251, the UART uh, IC. And um, again, this is like, I don't emulate the full IC, but just enough that when the CPU writes to data out register, I grab that byte and send it to the Arduino UART. Hmm. Uh, and I did, you know, 8031, 8085, 1802. I'll talk about these a little bit in the later detail. Um, but, you know, basically I look at the data sheets. Uh, if we go to slide number 28, to give you an idea, this is 6809, so <laughs> should be good. <laughs> okay. So this shows uh, all the waveforms happening at the hardware level, and Arduino basically, you know, between looking, you're looking at like a yellow one and yellow two is when the clock is low, and then yellow two to yellow three is clock is high. So in the first low part, all the address lines, data lines are driven by the CPU, and then the high uh uh period is when the actual transactions are almost ready to be executed when the clock goes down on that uh, falling edge on uh, yellow three is when transactions complete so arduino like prepares everything and then drives the clock low and high and you know gets things done uh, any questions so far uh, which which Arduino boards are you targeting with this? So I use a Mega, Arduino Mega. Okay. Because it has the extra, the big header with a lot of GPIOs on it. Gotcha. And then uh, let me talk about a little bit about why Arduino Mega um, on slide number 13. You know, the big thing I chose Arduino Mega is uh, the port assignments. You know, like a, there's like a port A, B, C, D, and each has like eight bits. And on Arduino Mega, those full eight bits are available on the headers. And actually there are three ports. So that's actually good for me because 16 bit address and eight bit data bus, that means I can read and write these uh, buses in one instruction. I looked at faster and newer platforms, you know, Arduino Duet, there's another a couple of other ones. But what I see is, you know, the ports are randomly assigned. So I have to take like two bits from this port, four bits from another port, five bits from you know third port and then i have to do a lot of like live like bit shifting and then oring and ending and this kills the speed because uh mm. you know i spend a lot of cycles just doing that and anything i'm not doing stuff for cpu is like waste of time um, the other problem is you know the newer arm based platforms are three volt uh devices so i need level shifters um all, even though they run really super fast, uh, like there's a, I'm looking at actually two right now. One is Teensy platform. I found out 3.5 is a five volt tolerant uh, uh, platform, and it has it runs at 120 megahertz. Has a lot of RAM, a lot of RAM, and this weekend I breadboard uh, and got got it working. So that's promising. Then people talk about ESP32 as well, which is another much faster processor. But I think that's going to need level shifters. But the good thing is it has Wi-Fi and things like that. Having said all that, I still come back to Mega because you know there's a lot of shields out there. And you asked about the video. So if you go back to slide number 21, um, uh, 
like there's a video plus keyboard shield for Arduino Mega and you plug it in and um, when we were bringing up Commodore 64, you know, we plugged this in, libraries are all there and we mapped a couple of addresses and modified the ROM a little bit and we got this running you know, in like 10 minutes. So that's, everything's available there. And this comes back to my, you know, being expendable is uh, when I built the Simon Turbo, this is like my ultimate dream. Like, you know, hey, do I want video? Yes, here it is. Plug it in, make it work. Like, do I want SD card? Yes, plug it in, you know, plug the shield. And some of these are, you know, stackable on top of each other. <laughs> so you could build a tower uh, until you, you know, run out of GPIOs. Um, wow. But, but that's what, you know, I, I like about Arduino. Um, I, I do. I have a real quick dumb question. Number one, Keith Cunningham just joined us and says, "What's the name of the pro, of the product?" You want to remind everybody what we're talking oh, about sure. right now? Yeah, I um, call this a retro shield for Arduino Mega, and you know the goal is to keep the eight bit processors alive by hooking them up to Arduino, and all the system hardware is emulated by heart, um, you know, Arduino, but the real processor executes code. That's my like a few sentence. Uh, yeah, no, that's good. That's good. Elevator. So yeah. it's, it's almost sounds like we're starting to build a, uh, a computer system now where it's not yes. no longer just a hobby board or a single board computer or a project board. It's almost sound like now that you have these shields and these inputs and outputs, we can start to build a computer. Exactly. Um, would your goal be to, literally clone the hardware where we've got cycle accurate hardware accurate or would it be just good enough where it can run most of the software i mean what would a perfect end game be for something like this so it's a little bit both and the reason i say that is you know my goal is never to emulate the exact hardware as is i have that uh, side of me where like i like to hack build you know mm -hmm. expand and my goal is you know use all the existing valuable existing software and support you know and knowledge and be able to try new things you know when you want to and so arduino or like teensy will emulate as fast as possible as good as possible and i want to make it an open platform from others uh, to try it but i don't want to for example try come make it a commodore 64 there's already a commodore 64 for it or like sure. other stuff for it for right. me it's more like to experience things that i haven't experienced in this case um you know like os9 or nitros or 09 i have like you know i can experience them but i like to experiment on this and expand it uh, there's a lot of other processors that i haven't like played with you know make this a platform for those um and I've seen other people build stuff and that gives me pleasure. Like, Hey, this is something they can play with and I get to see what they've done with it. Yeah. 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 That's neat. So, cause yeah, when in our little world here with the color computer and the 6809, we've got uh, two or three um, hardware replacements uh, emulated hardware replacements so we've got a yeah. coco 3 fpga solution that's fairly close to hardware accurate but it has some enhancements more speed and more modes and stuff there's two other ones there's the matchbox coco there's one that runs on the mister platform so we've got two or three hardware emulated platforms that are fairly good clones to run old software with also new capabilities this is yeah. not exactly in that same arena though this is right. similar but not quite the same right so right. this is still kind of a project hobby type thing for somebody who wants to get their hands 
uh, roll up their sleeves and work on some electronics and some hardware tinkering. And it should be right. maybe a low barrier to entry where you don't have to be super sophisticated with soldering and circuit design. So, right. um, and we, and this is funny cause we just talked about this about two weeks ago. So they just, uh, now you're familiar with Radio Shack, right? The original yes. Radio Shack store. Yeah. So they just opened up a brand new Radio Shack store again. You know, they went out of business, came back, went out of business, came back, you know, two or three times, but now they're back again. There's a brand new Radio Shack corporate store and they're, cool. They're doing stuff with Arduino projects. So in the old days, we had like the uh, 101 electronics kits where you could use the little springs and clips and make your circuits and make lights and switches. So this is kind of like the new version of that, right? Where you can do these kind of tinkery type projects with electronics and computing, um, but you don't have to be a mad scientist to do it. Is that a good kind of uh, (laughs) synopsis? Pretty much, yes. Okay. So, and actually, an interesting thing on that, too, is that the people at Radio Shack, uh, I think that was in Fort Worth, too, or near the Fort Worth area, um, are mentioning that they're planning on doing, like, little public uh, gatherings where people can come and learn about you know, Arduinos and other, everything else that they're yeah. going to be selling. And maybe your project would be a nice one to actually take and, and do a show and tell to, you know, show how your, your, your thing works. And then, you know, they sell the actual Arduinos and stuff there. So people could just yeah. see get involved, yeah. take a look and go, I like this. I want to try this. And then actually buy the parts right then and there after getting shown, take them yeah. home and, and go at it. Yeah. Right. Is David still on the call? Cause I think David's working on something with an Arduino where he's got his PS2 mouse adapter. Isn't that Arduino based David? Cool. We'll find out. Hey, David. Uh, okay. Actually yeah. it is. Yeah. Okay. So his no, th- this is cool. His current version uses say uh, the nano, uh, Arduino nano board. Now, what I, I think one of your challenges, I think one of the things you said here, Air Turk, was that you're choosing some parts that are inexpensive and, and easy to get. What do you think the life expectancy of some of these parts are? Because, like, if anything else, things don't remain around forever. So the sourceability of these components, what do you think, how many months, years do you think we have where this project would still be, you can get these things pretty easily? I think Arduino-wise, I don't... I'm not concerned, but CPU-wise, there's you know that those are getting very difficult to yeah, find. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, like 6502, 6209Z80 are still available, but the other ones, I feel like maybe in like 20, 30 years, like people won't know about these things, and um, it's I don't think it's you know, yeah. yeah. So there's definitely a preservation component here. Exactly. Trying yeah. to keep the CPU alive. Um, yeah. it's like I mean, the, the, on the uh, Arduino they're they're pretty much bulletproof I've actually got a couple that I use on some drones and trust me I've drilled them in the ground a couple times and they just are bulletproof yeah 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 my worry is always like you know we have these CPUs and these are delicate and you know especially the rare ones like if something happens to them or they're sitting unused and this gives them you know um it's like a, it's it's an it's a new body for an old brain, right? So you can yeah. just resurrect that brain. Yeah. And this depends. That depends on you know is the brain moving the fish or is the fish moving the brain <laughs> here? But. <laughs> and that's the biggest difference between your project and the other ones that Steve is mentioning, or like the Coco FPGA and the Mr. Coco and stuff, because those are emulating the CPU itself as well. Oh I yeah, see. they're not they're not Whereas using. You the... actually have the actual original CPU running. Yeah. 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 So here, so this is a perfect example. Let's say somebody's got a Coco three. 
and they've done a 6309 upgrade. Are you familiar with the 6309, which is the Hitachi oh, yeah. version? All right. Oh, yeah. So let's say somebody's got a Coco 3 and they pop the 6309 in there. So hey, what am I going to do with this now unused 6809? Well, I can get this little project here, pop that chip in, and give it uh, give it a place to live and and tinker exactly. with. You know. Um, yeah, that's kind of cool. It's this reminds me a little bit too of when we had the eight bit guy on a couple of weeks ago. His kind of Commodore system he's working on, where he's not trying to clone a Commodore, but he's trying to build a new what might have been a Commodore in succession to some of the other things using you know, know. close to original parts and the whole nine yards. But it's not going to be a clone. It's not going to be compatible. But you can still develop for it, right? So yeah. Um, with some of these shields, if we can get VGA output, we, we could make a 6809 programmable computer that we could write software for. Right. Right. And you got your shield for your SD card and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. And it's a trade-off. Like, uh, you know, part of you, part of me says, hey, I should, like, do stuff on my own and, like, build an OS, build this, build a computer. But then, on the other hand, there's a great OSs out there. Like, you know, you could use them if you support the same hardware. Mm -hmm. And I always go back and forth. Like I play a little bit, and then I say, okay, maybe I should do. It. But then I don't have enough time, so I go back to like you know the old stuff. Uh, like you said, you know, it's stuff there. I don't know. Uh, I think I may have worked with the eight-bit guy as well when we were bringing up the Commodore 64. Okay. Uh, not him directly, but you know, somebody who's working on the project. Okay. Uh, yeah, it's it's good. All of that stuff is happening, um, and um, yeah, these are modern projects. I think you know it's instead yeah. instead of working on the old hundred and one electronics kit, this is the this is the new way to work on projects. It seems like yeah, All right, yeah. so yeah, cool. So, are you selling these now from your website, or how do people get these if they want to work on this kind of stuff? So if they want to work on stuff, so the first easy thing is, you know, if they have the CPU and the breadboard, they can just wire it. I'll show you an example. Um, here's one. Uh, like you can just do type of stuff. <laughs> <laughs> so you can do this at home. Download the code. You know, hook up your CPU, get the Arduino, and then uh, this is not an Arduino, by the way, but uh, you can make it work that way. If you like to buy PCBs, I sell PCBs as well. Uh, I I'm I tried selling actually I'm trying selling kits uh, for like 6809, uh, Z80, and 6502, and we'll we'll see how that goes. It's an experiment. Um, I feel like um, most kids nowadays like you know they're not into this type of stuff. They just downloadable apps. And then it's only like my generation and like, you know, similar generations like who know these things uh, that they grow up on this stuff. So do you have a parts list on your website, at least, where you say if you want to build the 6502, here's the parts you need or? Um... Yeah, so uh, I have a GitLab repository. Uh, let me see on page. Page 26. Um, gitlab.com slash 8bitsforce. Okay. Uh, so I have a folder for the hardware and I have a folder for the individual Arduino codes. Maybe click on uh, one. Let's see. I'm trying to see if I if, if I click on it. Okay. So here we go. It's going to pop up. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to copy and paste this into the chat too. So for those who want to see it, yeah. you guys can get to it. 
All right, so it's GitLab. Okay, go ahead. ahead. All right. So it's a similar idea. You know, I put down what I supported. My goal is to build a Docker card for every 8-bit microprocessor out there. Okay. I even got the Intel 4004 chips. Wow. 8008, 8080, 4040, 8008, etc. And a lot of people like it, especially at VCF, they recommended other CPUs to bring up. So. As I have time, I'm just going through slowly. You know, it's a lot of research, learning. Um, sure. Yeah. What was the reception at VCF? That a lot of people like this project of yours. I, I would say uh, there's a small uh, niche market <laughs> for this type of stuff. Okay. Uh, most people are expecting like, hey, I want to see like a computer, like a platform with a keyboard, I can play games and things like that. Yeah. But there was small people like when they come in, their their reaction is like whoa okay this is what i this is actually cool like those are people i guess who wants to build hardware stuff or like play with it um yeah 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 i can't say it's like a you know a lot of interest uh okay so here's like here's a close-up of your six five co2 yeah retro down, we have the 60 that's my original 6809 from like years ago. <laughs> so you actually wrote down all the oh, yeah. what all the pins were Big here. So. Pins, yeah. <laughs> yeah. A lot of wiring, you know, like I've done so many wiring with that. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're not if you're not sure what it is, it's a 6809E. It says it right there in blue yeah. in blue ballpoint, right? So <laughs> that's awesome. Is your Z80? Yeah. Okay. And out of the box, you're doing open source, which I, I've, I've come to understand the benefit of doing that. Yeah. Um, very cool. Yeah, we're thinking the guy you've talked to is probably Jim Brain from Retro Innovations uh, when it comes to talking about the Commodore 64 project that the 8-bit so guy's working yeah, on. I talked to Michael Style is the software guy. I think oh, okay. He, I believe he's doing the... I don't know if this is public or not. I maybe not sure. Okay, well, then if you're not sure, That's then maybe fine. don't say it. Okay. Yeah. Um... And I'm on. Oh, Jim's here. Jim, have you talked to uh, AirTurk before? I have not. <clears throat> nice to make your acquaintance. Hi, how you doing? Okay. Cool. Jim runs Retro Innovations. I'm sure you've heard of them. They're uh, probably the largest, oh, yeah. uh, you know, largest <laughs> in innovator. In, uh, <laughs> oh, <laughs> are we lying <laughs> through our teeth right now? <laughs> <laughs> I got lots of fibs I can tell. <laughs> like this is the greatest show I, you've ever been on, right? So That's right. <laughs> no other show comes close. That's right. <laughs> nice. Um cool. I, I do agree with um with the earlier comments about the Arduino Mega. I just I I just add a little bit more maybe a little bit more color. I've got a, a project that allows folks to connect an Arduino Mega to the, the Coco expansion port. And if you look on the, the picture that you have on the screen right now, I think one of the things that, you know, it's pointed out is all those ports are right there, but or more interestingly, <clears throat> the, uh, um, that connector right there that's kind of in the second two-thirds of the way over from the left where the board connects to the Arduino Mega, okay. that is an additional connector from the original Arduino um, connector set. The original Arduino connector set are these connectors that are kind of at the top and the bottom. And so a lot of the shields that was being discussed earlier, they require, they, they hide those pins on the top and the bottom on the left-hand side there, right? 
right underneath the, the LCD screen. But those ones on the far right, yeah, the ones that you're looking at right now, <clears throat> they uh, they do not, um, a lot of the shields don't use those pins, and so it makes it really easy to be able to connect this thing right off to the end of the Arduino Mega without affecting any of the other connections that you might want to use for your shields. Because the worst thing would be is to have this on there and then have a shield, and the shield says, well, I need to have these pins, and you're like, well, I already used them for this right. uh, retro shield. So. <clears throat> so that's that's one of the beauties of the Arduino Mega platform is that it's kind of like a bonus port, right? And so nobody else uses it, and so it's free for you to use, and you know you don't have to worry about sharing it with anybody else. Yeah. So one of the things I think is important is, and I didn't think I'd heard as yet, but so obviously you're, you're emulating the, the peripherals and all that in the Arduino. <clears throat> What's, which one of the CPUs? Have you gotten to run the fastest, and how fast is that? So, the the fastest CPUs are 6809 and 6502 for now. I only tried six CPUs. Um, okay. And why is this? Because these CPUs execute code in one clock cycle. You know, most instructions get done in one to one clock cycles, and uh, or two, you know, as needed. But um, other ones, for example, Z80, 8085, or 1802 takes eight CPU cycles to execute like one CPU cycle. And with mm -hmm. Arduino, I could get up to 200 and 200 kilohertz-ish, you know, sometimes 220, sometimes 170-ish for 6502 and 6809. And um, they're not running at full speed because of the Arduino is only a 16 megahertz processor. Um, but for example, mm -hmm. um, 6802, even though this Arduino can clock at 200 kilohertz, because the CPU is executing at um, eight cycles per CPU cycle, the effectiveness of the CPU drops a little bit. And you can feel yeah. it. And by knowing the hardware details, you kind of like see this. Like Z80, for example, runs at four megahertz, but actually it's as fast as a one megahertz, you know, 6809 or uh, 6502. So you can see that it's in. And I've looked at TNZ 3.5, that could go up to one megahertz. I just, I'm just bringing up stuff. Uh, I got the 6502 running, but I need to do more validation to say, yes, it can be run faster. Um, Jim, you said something about, which is actually interesting. And um, Steve, this may, go back to your question about like what's the goal of these things and i said it's about computers but it may not be just a computer right it may be anything that has these processors in them for example when we were bringing up commodore 64 the disk drive 1541 has a 6502 in it and we were joking but it's possible you could have two arduino two retro shields one of them emulating commodore 64 and the other one's emulating um, the drive, the disk drive, right? And then I was thinking about this uh, this week. If you guys are into ham radio, uh, there's this device called uh, it's like a Morse machine, you know, like Morse code keyer for mm -hmm. your transmitter. It has an 8031 inside. And I was thinking, they don't make this machine anymore. What if I go get the code for this and get an Arduino audio shield? and see if I can actually emulate this thing. And then looked it up, the company is still around, so I have to get permission from them uh, for the ROM copyrights. But, you know, 
that may be okay like for me to do on a personal level uh, just to see if it's doable. That's cool. Something you wouldn't have think, think about, right? Yeah, yeah. And the other thing is like a... Go ahead. You're going into the matrix, Jim. We're losing Jim on some, some bandwidth issues here. No, uh, I'm here. I just You're back. I was gonna. I didn't realize he had more on it. I, yep. Yeah, I was gonna point out that um, other use case that you can think about. People can argue about the, um, the, uh, the I guess the benefit of it or whatnot. But a lot of computer systems of the day, including the handy color computer, came out with a small four-color um, plotter. Right, it used like little uh, three and a half inch wide or four inch wide paper or whatever. And a lot of those devices were um, they used micro an early type of microcontroller inside the plotter. Those microcontrollers are derivatives of either 6800, 6803, 6502 or whatever. But they're special brand parts. I mean, they're like house branded and they got built in ROMs and whatnot. And if you're if you have those things and you uh, we're losing you again, Jim. To, um, and you want them to uh, work better, you could use this to go to replace the controllers. Yeah, you're breaking up really bad now, Jim. Yeah, I think we got the gist of what to, you're saying, though. You're you're saying that this could replace the uh, microcontrollers and some of these plotters and other specialty devices, right, to make them run better. Correct. Yeah. Let me switch over to the main PC. <clears throat> yeah. So you're thinking Arduino is the interface between the real CPU and then the that target platform. Well, it could replace the actual CPU in there. Oh, to replace the CPU. Oh, I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah. Speaking of replacing the CPUs, uh, did you guys see the Monster 6502 project? No. What, what is it called? Somebody, it, it's called Monster 6502. Oh, where they Sorry, made they about... yeah they made it from scratch, where they made it with all the components, where you can see all the wire wrapping of all the transistors and stuff. Right, right. So that was at VCF, that, right? It was at VCF. So okay. at VCF, we plugged his uh, the the processor, I guess, to this. <laughs> he was able to run the Apple One was funny. Uh, oh, that's that's funny. Yeah. Okay. So it does work, you know, like his stuff uh, is really good. So, yeah. So that he did it that well. Yeah. 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 You, you uh, unminiaturize. You actually are now maximizing <laughs> the, uh, the components of the processor, right? So yeah. that's really interesting. Um, now, this is cool. We don't we don't always take super duper deep dives on, on hardware techie type stuff on the show. or We don't do it as often as we probably should. And I know enough to be dangerous, but I do find this interesting. Uh, I know we have so, a few people on here a little bit more hardware savvy, uh, and hopefully Jim Brain will come back when he gets when he gets. You know, I think he was in outer space, and so there were some problems with uh, sunspots and uh, satellite transmissions. But uh, who else on the panel right now has got two cents they want to add to some of this right now? Who have some experience with hardware projects and Arduino type stuff? Anyone? I was thinking Mark or Rick Adams might, because they both experiment with some of the hardware. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I have a bunch of them, but Rick Adams has done some very practical hands-on stuff with his. So. Start with him. 
Well, it's up to Rick. Well, I've just, <laughs> I've just, I've just done Raspberry Pi stuff, so not Arduino stuff. We still like you. Yeah, Jim's back. <laughs> well, that's a relief. Yeah. Well, you know. <clears throat> Jim, so just a question, like, uh, like, uh, you know, at some point, the small brain or the big brain, you know, like the Arduino equivalent, gets too complicated and becomes like, you know. Um, where would you stop? Like, you know, we have the 8-bit processor in there emulating rest of it. Um, like, we could use a PC to emulate the system hardware. Yeah, I, right. now more than ever, I think it's gotten to be. Uh, it's very, it's very much a gray area. Back in the, <clears throat> back in the early 2000s, um, I started out using the AVR microcontrollers before the Arduino platform came into being. But I wanted to start in with microcontrollers again, and I was looking at the different things, PIC and so forth. And the Arduino or the AVR controllers were cheap. And they were easy to program, and the compiler for them was free. Anyway, I started right. I started making projects, kind of like you're working on here, where you know, interfacing the classic types of environments. Mine was put it making peripherals for classic systems. And there's another there's another individual in the retro community that a lot of people know. Her name is Jerry Ellsworth. She's the she's the designer of the Commodore 64 DTV, and she did the Commodore One, and she's she's been doing a lot of hardware stuff. I think she had like a AR VR system a couple of years ago that she was working on. Well, anyway, we'd go to these classic shows and she'd make fun of me all the time because she'd say, you know, when are you going to grow up and start doing hardware stuff, you know? And so I, I kept making fun of her, like, you know, one of these days software is going to just supplant the need to actually have any of this hardware, you know, reprogrammable hardware, or whatnot. And really it was a bit of a joke because at the time, you know, 16 megahertz just isn't fast enough to do everything you want to do at full speed or whatnot. And the FPGA type stuff that she was doing obviously could run, you know, 40, well, it could run a lot faster. It could run yeah. like gigahertz or whatever. Right. And so, you know, it was kind of good natured ribbing, but <clears throat> as time moves on, you've got CPUs that have gotten up to be very, very fast, like arm uh, chips and whatnot that have gotten into the, you know, gigahertz range, but yet they're able to be used in real time. So you don't, it's not like a full PC. You can, it's like an Arduino platform, but it's running at a gigahertz or something like that. And it starts to become like, like you're describing where you can just write some code and <clears throat> you can emulate a classic machine that runs up to maybe 10 or 20 megahertz or whatever, no sweat. And then on the other hand, one of the things that we also need to realize is that and cause here the last few years, probably about five or six years ago, I finally was like, okay, I'm tired of Jerry making fun of me. So I'm going to learn to do this hardware part. And so I started learning Verilog, and, and of course VHDL is the other part of that. But Verilog is like almost like C code, and VHDL is a little bit different. But essentially, you're writing code, and then you're downloading it to a chip. So either way, either if you choose to do the Arduino or the or the Raspberry Pi or whatever route, and you write code and you compile it using a C compiler, and then you run it on this this platform. Or you go over here and you get into your favorite the Verilog or VHDL editing tool and you edit or create some Verilog or whatever. And then you download it into this chip. Either way, you're essentially downloading a program into a chip. And at it's the end... It's all coding. It's <laughs> all coding, right. Yeah. So, so pretty soon as they get, you know, I think over time, those are just going to get closer and closer together. And so 
you're just going to write this code that you've been writing. You could create your libraries. And just like people do today with the Arduino things, they're going to say, well, I want this LCD screen thing, and I want this, uh, I want this audio thing, and I want to emulate the SID, and I want to do the VIC chip, or I want to do the gimme or whatever. And they're just going to stuff it all into a project, and they're going to hit compile and program, and it's going to shove it into a chip. And they don't really know what's in the chip, but at the end, it emulates the whole thing. I mean, it emulates whatever they want it to emulate. And they don't really know whether it was software downloaded to the chip or whether it's programmable hardware downloaded the chip. And quite frankly, they don't care. Hey, Jim, I had yeah. heard that some of the FPGA manufacturers had licensed uh, the ARM cores. And so yes. there's both some hybrid ones that are have like- Yes, a, there is, ARM which is kind of, that's right. And that's, 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 that's really, um, that's like uh, inception level stuff, right? Because mm -hmm. you have a programmable hardware running a piece of, uh, essentially running software, which is a CPU, and then you're downloading a program into the CPU, which is emulated using the hardware that you created using a program. So you're like, <laughs> <laughs> right? I mean, it you is. You have libraries for the ARM. You can leverage those existing libraries. Just That's by right. That's right. Adding in hardware that can't be done fast enough in hardware. And then part of it's dedicated to emulating the CPU that you can get the libraries for. <laughs> get yep. What, what DEFCON level are you at, Stevie? Uh, <laughs> funny thing is, is I'm kind of following along right now. We're not talking about disassembling anything here, so I'm, I'm still good. So, yeah. <laughs> I think I think it's 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 exciting time to be a hobbyist, in my opinion. I mean, I you know don't want to take away from the topic of the day, but when I was in college, um, I graduated in 1993, and I worked actually on a hardware project kind of like these things when I was in my senior year of college. And so if you go online and you search for power glove serial interface, you'll find my name and whatnot back from the day. And I helped develop that piece of hardware back in the day, but it was painful to develop that hardware. The, the main CPU that you used at the time was the 68HC11, which ran at eight megahertz, but was divided by four internally. So it essentially was a two megahertz machine. And on top of that, the programming tools were kind of antiquated, not nearly as nice as they are today. And then if you wanted to lay out a board, like, you know, you got these little RetroShield boards and, and they look really professional. And I mean, they are really professional, right? And they look, and you probably have a copy of KiCad or a copy of Eagle and you put those together yourself or whatever. Yeah. Um, back in the day, I had to hire, I had to work for a long time to hire a company to lay out the printed circuit board and they cut me a deal and only charged me $1,000 to lay out the board <laughs> because they were going to help train one of their new employees. And if they would allow them to do it all through the summer, they would only charge me $1,000 to do it or whatever. And then when it was done, I found a bug in the, you know, boo-hoo me. I found a problem in my layout, and it was another $400 to change, fix the layout. And then when you went to do the boards, you had to send them, you had to mail the actual uh, we printed out on transparency paper the actual Gerber f uh, um, pictures or whatever, and I had to put them in a special envelope, a padded envelope, and mail them somewhere. And somebody would make the make the printed circuit board and mail it back. It was an arduous process. And now, like you know, you design your board up in the comfort of your own home. You zip up the files. You email it off to somebody in the wherever, right? Whoever's got a cheap price, yeah. and. They build the boards, they build you like five of them for 10 bucks and they mail them back to you um, in a week. And and you didn't even have to leave your basement, right? 
It's awesome. Yes. It's great. I agree. Yeah. Uh, and it's just getting cheaper and cheaper and cheaper and more accessible. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I think we had, this was an early topic we had too. I think it was around episode 19 or 20. We first started talking about emulated hardware to back when, you know, the Matchbox Coco was a thing. And we're talking about that and the uh, Coco FPGA and the very fact that you can write software to program hardware. That in itself is kind of mind blowing when you think about it. When you just think about like everything Jim just said, like we're, Think about the old computers, uh, how things had to be designed and, and built and assembled, and, and now it's all kind of virtualized in, in hardware. It's it's mind-boggling, you know? Um, and it really, it is, it's just it's a different flavor of emulation, right? It's either software-based emulation or hardware-based emulation, but it's, it's emulation, right, no matter how you slice it. Um, I think the difference, and, and in both cases, you have to understand, like as somebody who's developing hardware in MAME, they still have to understand how the hardware works, right? They still have to understand how this chip talks to that chip and all these things. So that understanding of the hardware and electronics must exist for both software and hardware-based emulation. That's, is that a true statement? That is a true, that is a very, very true statement. Right, so in a way, you're still kind of designing things, but now uh, the ability to design, um, it's just a whole other level, right? We can design from the comfort of our chairs. Yep. Um, we do need to, one of the things I see, because in my, my day job, I'm, I work in a manufacturing company and I'm in the IT department and I do some hiring of senior resources. And one of the things that I'm struggling with now is there's a generation of people that are coming into the workforce and they've never really interacted with hardware in any appreciable way. And I know the Raspberry Pi and the Arduino are attempts to try to get people back into that and they're great attempts and I, I hope they're just, I mean, it looks like they've been very successful and I hope they continue to be very successful, but there has been a period where people just assumed that everything would be driven by Windows or Linux or whatever. And the the challenge is that there is a, there is a level of general, I guess, uh, kind of intelligence that is is impressive and capable and 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 of good use in a in an IT type uh, position or whatnot that I think is developed more strongly if somebody has access to um, the hardware being able to even if it's not retro hardware but still just just being able to see that it's not just magic that happens in your PC in your laptop's case right there's there's uh, signals and there's data bits and all that and and, and there's an order to them. And if you violate the rules, then you get unexpected behavior and whatnot. Um, and especially when things, because this happens in the real world, just as it does in the retro environment, <clears throat> we have things in our manufacturing floor that are um, obsolete. The companies have went out of business or whatever, but we the product still works. It's a, it's a laser cutter or a, a mill or whatever, right? And you still need it to work. And so sometimes you have to go out there and say, well, I can't talk to the I can't talk to the people who designed this, so I'm going to have to essentially ver reverse engineer it, just like you would do, like you're saying, Steve, for Maine in a retro mm -hmm. machine. You've got to yeah. get the hardware, you got to poke and prod it for a while, and you got to figure out what it does, and then you have to recreate that in a piece of software or whatever to emulate enough of it so that your mill or your laser cutter or whatever will continue to work. Um, there's going to be a continue to be a uh, a great value to people who can do that or at least understand how to do that. Um, and I think projects like this continue to help 
people refine those skills. I mean, yeah, it's fun, 6809, 6502 and whatnot, but at the end of the day, I feel like they're getting a skill that they can translate into the workforce. And at least from my perspective, if they say, yeah, I did stuff like this, it's gonna give me a little bit more comfort that when, um, when, the, when the shop floor or plant floor is, un, is down and not functioning and we gotta have somebody that walks in and try to figure out what's going on, the person's armed with all of this knowledge of how to debug, diagnose, reverse engineer, whatever, to get it back up and running as quickly as possible. It's cool. Right. Yeah. I mean, just to add to that a little bit, like uh, there's a lot of good documentation on, you know, all, you know, these older computers. You get the whole schematics, you get a lot of details on how the chips work, you know, how the OS works. You get the commented, you know, OS details itself. Nowadays, a lot of that stuff is missing and you just push <clears> buttons <throat> and magic happens. And if it doesn't happen, then you're kind of stuck. Um, yep. Which, yeah. Get off my lawn. Right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, we had, what was his name? We had uh, Guru Santiago on a couple of weeks ago who's working on some high-end modern stuff. And he's like, nobody understands how a CPU works anymore. Where he had actually lived in a time where he helped to, to develop some custom CPUs that helped yeah. with the space shuttle navigation or, or whatever it was, telemetry with liftoff. So there was a time where he was influential in designing a processor, but he's like, at this point, we, we don't know how they work. There's this there's, there's just too complex for any one person to grasp. And then that's know? true of software, too. I mean, a lot yeah. of people not write software, and they're just making API calls. They have no idea what's going on under the hood in the API yeah. call. If there's yeah. a bug in there, you're you're stuck with it. Well, yeah. and I was going to say, too, talking about, um, you know, that, that skill translating to the workplace, um, it's difficult I guess more difficult to take someone, uh, whether it's a student, for example, you know, a, a kid that's uh, interested in the STEM field, and teach them 64-bit assembly language, and that that's very complex. Whereas if you could start out and had some sort of platform like this and teach them 8-bit assembly language, and then graduate them up, I mean, you know, one day they may be able to understand how bootloader works. Mm -hmm. True, very much. Yeah, baby steps. <clears throat> uh, it's it's pretty cool. Do we have more to show off, AirTurk, uh, from your presentation? Or um, I think that's all. I we covered a lot of stuff. Um, I do want to ask. I started looking at the Nitro S nine uh, stuff. You're wasting your time there. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to put it in nicely. But... <laughs> well, we have we have a guy here who knows a little something about that. Uh, on the panel, L. Curtis. <laughs> I will just send him a setup. How was that? No, well, go ahead. You, 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 you got a, you've got a great resource right now. Go ahead and ask, ask That's your question. That's actually what I want to do. Like, you know, find somebody who, who knows this stuff and, you know, we bring it up. You know, I mostly support hardware. <laughs> uh, I know there's so. been a couple of ports of the Nitrous 9 kernel to some other custom hardware projects that people have made too. Yeah. So it wouldn't be the first one to do that either. So. Okay. Yeah, that I just kind cool. of find out like what the hardware requirements are, like timers, hard drive support, and things like that, and then um, emulate it. Uh, yeah, well, that's a pretty wide swath. I mean, OS Nine is a modular system, so there was all kinds of hardware for different floppy controllers and hard drive controllers and yeah. different video chips because it was not just for the Coco stuff. I mean, that works in the FM Seven, the FM Seventy Seven, um, a whole bunch of other machines too. It's which 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 do you think would be if you wanted to emulate an environment? to run OS 9, like level one, for instance, what do you think would be the simplest OS 9 capable environment to run? 
Like, Probably a uh, terminal-based one, to be honest, which sounds yeah. like what he's doing already. Um, mm -hmm. So what, 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 did what one platform of those. would that be? What, I mean, what uh, FM77, FM7? Uh, what, which one would be a terminal-based environment that he could maybe do a search on? I'm trying to remember because Boise had a couple in the in the source in the GitHub repository. There's already some um, terminal-based projects that are always sign level one based. I just can't remember the name of them off the top of my head. Well, we can but get you that. Yeah, we'll get you that. So that should be easy for us to figure out. And then then you can just look at the hardware requirements for that environment and try to emulate that. And, yeah, that would be great. Yeah, and then you'd be a you'd be a lot closer to being able to bring OS nine up level one anyway. Level two is it's a significantly larger yeah, you have effort. You hardware support and kinds of things too. So. Yeah, um, yeah, that's yeah, too too much for Arduino for sure. That's cool. Uh, David Ladder, are you with us? David, do you copy? We don't know where David. David's probably frying something up somewhere. Um, I just wanted to get it, some input from him on his Arduino project, his uh, you know his uh, I, PS2 keyboard mouse adapter thing. I can give you a little bit of detail on it because I have a copy of it here. It's an Arduino sketch, um, PS2 to um, he doing the mouse functionality and converting it to the um, the Coco's mouse inputs um, mm. with enough resolution to do what's the high resolution uh, a program a paint program that you can use on the Coco Color Max. Color Max. Color Max. Okay. Yeah. So he his goal was to create enough resolution so that you could do the high resolution capabilities on color max using just the um uh well yeah it, it's high resolution capabilities but there's a there's a program uh, nick maybe on uh simon and and folks created that special routine that lets you to get like a thousand twenty four um or 10 and bits nick, of resolution john kowalski did that one okay kowalski yeah. sorry he wanted David wanted to make sure that he could target that. So whoever used that routine that would give you that enhanced resolution, um, his 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 adapter would work on that. Um, and I think right now he's looking for someone who can kind of take it to uh, production. He's kind of developed it as a project and kind of put it out there and maybe hoping that some folks um, want to move forward with it as a product. Um, I've talked to him a little bit about an idea of kind of um, working with it and then also maybe adding in a capability to switch uh, joystick ports or something so that you can plug it into both joystick ports and then be able to to have your ps2 mouse work on either one of them yeah okay um, you know just kind of you know make it a little bit easier so you don't have to fumble in the back of the machine for um for uh for connectors plugging connectors in and all all the time but he uses the arduino same system that is being used here. He uses that same uh, type system, but he's developed a uh, custom board that he uses like an Arduino Uno type board, not the Mega. So he uses like um, AT Mega 168 or 328 okay. or Mark, Mark D is holding it up, it looks like. Yeah. It's actually yeah. a micro, but it's a nano, same size board. Yeah. So current one. Yeah, and it's got like a, it's got like a Mega, what, three, a 328 or something 20, on it or what? 20p. Yeah. So, um, Anyway, it's a it's a smaller CPU than's on the Arduino Mega, because the Mega has got like a 1281 or something like that, a much larger chip with 128k of RAM. This one's got like 32k, but but then again, it's doing a lot less. I've been working with David on this, and I have a lot of the hardware to build this stuff already. Um, and uh, yeah, actually, the Mega was going or the Micro was going to be used for uh, advanced feature. 
which I don't think we're going to need that for the uh, the software high res interface. Okay, cool. Also, I just wanted to mention in the chat there, uh, James Jones, who used to work for Microware, the guys that uh, made OS nine originally, and are still doing it now for uh, you know more modern systems. He's mentioned some other six eight oh nine OS nine based uh, systems like the gimmicks, the Smoke Signal, Chieftain, SW. Uh, TPC, some SS50 and 50C bus systems are all also capable of running OS9 on terminals. So I don't know if the yeah. source code for that, those versions of OS9 is kicking around or for those particular uh, serial chips or not. But some other I have the Gimmicks uh, 9 uh, running actually on my older board. So that was the first thing I was going to try. That's yeah, okay. Yeah, because Gimmicks is actually one of, a big OS9 user back in the day. I see. Is, yeah. is there a reproduction of the SS50? Um, uh, that somebody's making like a replica or whatever. Because um, I'm thinking if there is, that, that person might be somebody to chat with as well. I don't know if there's not. I'll look it up and see. Cool, cool. Have we have we done a decent job of talking about or letting you talk about your project a little bit there, Eric? Oh, yeah. Thank you very much. Yeah, oh, no, thank you. Good stuff, yeah. Um, so remind us again what the main website is if people want to um, check out this project. Uh, the best thing is the, the GitLab project website, which is gitlab.com slash 8bitforce. Um, okay. Which I'll post in the chat again. I have a personal website, uh, like blogging type of website at www.8bitforce.com. <laughs> you know, all eight, these 8-bit microprocessors. Yeah, 8bitforce.com. So. Okay. Yeah. That's a good start. From there, you can uh, dive into all the other ones. Okay. Well, I've, I've hopefully I've posted the link uh, in a few places too. So for those who are watching it live, you'll be able to see the. Okay, Mark Overholzer. Okay. It's been a couple times, so. Yeah. All right. So yeah. we're posting a link to that. Now that's a very cool project, and it's it's kind of neat where you can tinker um, with different CPUs and get some electronic stuff going on and stuff like that. So that's some pretty cool stuff. I um, had a. To, to finish it up, I had I got the name. So, um, f for folks wanting to know, uh, not necessarily for the hardware, but the individual might be able to help you with um, platform, you know, emulation or whatnot. There's a company. Um, the guy goes to VCF East a lot of times, and I think he's been to VCF Midwest. He might be there again this year. Um, the company's name is Corsham, C-O-R-S-H-A-M, and the website is CorshamTech.com. And he makes a replica of the SS50, and I think he he it's a it's a like uh, Curtis mentioned it's a t terminal based system, and so he's got one all set up. And I think he he probably would have a copy of Level One running on that environment, and so he could tell you he probably has a real good idea of how much of the SS50 you need to emulate in order to get uh, or to get OS9 up and running. I think I've seen it. Yes, he had some medical problems, if I remember right. Uh, he did. Yeah. He, okay. He did, but he's on the mend, and I don't think he's okay. shipping products right now. But if you just, I mean, it sounds like you're mainly looking for information, and and he can do that from where he's convalescing, or if he's just trying to get back into the yeah. swing of things, it should be easy for him to provide that information. Okay, that's good. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Very cool. Very very yeah. cool. Well, this has been a great segment. I I literally enjoyed it. I'm not just saying that. Uh, I'm not a, I'm not a hardware guy, but I, I enjoyed Way to it. Sell it, Stevie. Yeah, no, I'm literally it's enjoyed it. I literally <laughs> enjoyed it. And, uh, genuinely, genuinely enjoyed that. Um, I know enough to be dangerous when it comes to the hardware, but I've become more 
knowledgeable by listening to the smart people here. I'm the fish that follows the smart people. Um, <laughs> so I've been able to follow this pretty well. So uh, that's good. Um, Thank so, you very much. Yeah, yeah. thanks a lot. Uh, and feel free to hang out with us. We're going we're gonna to probably just take a brief break, and then we're going to go on to talk about some other things. But thanks for being here, Air Turk, and, and you're welcome. And whenever you have an update or you just want to – if you've got nothing better to do on a Saturday, you can come join us anytime you like. All right? So I mean, um, I might do that, actually. This is a lot of fun. Yeah. <laughs> oh, nice. <laughs> and I'll tell more jokes. Don't worry about it. Okay, good. I, good. I know a lot of jokes. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, well, we're going to take a, a brief commercial break, and then we'll come back and talk about a few more things. And something I've been negligent to do, we're going to start off by thanking our patrons. Okay. So... Let us thank our patrons right now. we got lots of patrons. These are the actual supporters of our show. So how about we give a big thank you, a warm thank you to Al Hartman and Alan Huffman and Blair LeDuc and Brendan Donahue and his Coco VGA project and Brian Joyce at Extructus.com and our good friend Fedor Stamen all the way in Denmark and DeBruce, D. Bruce Moore in O Canada with some of his projects like FOD.gracenote.ca and Coco Forever. .gracenote.ca we got David Mitchell we've got Diego and his cool site yaccs.info yet another color computer site.info Diego's got some cool stuff there Disney Saints fan and Eric Canales at color-computer.com Grant Leedy Jason Downs Jenna Furin Ken Reichert at kencanmakeit.com Kyle Etter Malfunct Paul Fiscarelli Frenomythic Paul Shoemaker Richard Lorbieski, Boyce on Tech, B-O-Y-S-O-N Tech.com, Rob Inman, Steve Bjork, Terry Steggy, The Backyard Shed Gang, Tom C., and Tom S., all sponsors of the show. Thank you all. You are all too kind. Hello, I'm David Ladd. Thank you for watching Coco Talk, the world's leading live Coco Talk show. Hey, what's going on, everybody? It's me. It's Original Gamer Stevie Stroke. You know, gameplay. To get your copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD today, head on over to 8bit256.com. There you will find several DVDs featuring Color Computer Gameplay videos by the original gamer Stevie Stroh. So to get your very own copy of a Gameplay Goodness Color Computer Gaming DVD, head on over to the Retro Swag Shop at 8bit256.com and tell them the original gamer Stevie Stroh sent you. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. This year, I needed to give a real family pleaser. Honey, please help me with this budget. How about a new game, Dad? Please. And I found it. Radio Shack's Color Computer 2. On sale for just $99.95. It entertains, educates, manages. It's expandable and affordable. Now that really pleases me. The Color Computer 2. Sale price for Christmas. Only at Radio Shack. Yeah. Hi, I'm Tim. Playing Daggerith like that idiot from the book. <laughs> You're watching Coco Talk.
from Radio Shack, the TRS-80 Model 3. And at $200 off, it's a great value. Select from Radio Shack's huge program library to aid your children's education, plan your personal and household budgets, or to entertain with fast action games. You can even learn to write programs. The TRS-80 Model 3, on sale for $7.99, only at Radio Shack and Radio Shack Computer Centers, the computer experts. Me now, me turn you to call, call, talk. And we're back. Must, much to Jim Brain's disappointment, we are back. We are on the air. And welcome, everybody. And so, we have a topic this week, which hopefully will be as, as entertaining as our first segment. But we were going to talk about the Coco Community Evolution, right? I think that was our suggested topic. Where, well, how have things changed in the past week or two, right? Um, we will get to project updates and acquisitions as well. We kind of uh, we're playing with the format. We ask and we listen and we ask people for suggestions on the show. And it was suggested on our Discord server that maybe we don't spend as much time at the top of the program telling everybody what we did this week and what our favorite color was and all that kind of stuff and what color keys we want on our new Coco 3 keyboard. But we bumped that later on. So we got to our main segment right away. Uh, thank you, Air Turk, for, for doing that. We have a host, uh, host discussion topic, uh, which was uh, suggested by Steve Bjork, who unfortunately cannot uh, be with us today. But I thought it was a great, great, great suggestion. And um, so the idea was, is how has the Coco community evolved from the old days to the new days? And um, there's, there's enough mixtures of us here. Some of us were active uh, in the early days of the community. And some of us are new, like myself. And so we probably have lots of, and, and Mark D. Overholzer. So we probably have lots of different perspectives uh, on this. So we're going to go ahead and open the floor. Maybe we start with, I'll put you guys on the spot, but probably Rick Adams and Curtis Boyle and then probably even uh, Nick Morentes are some guys who have been some of the pioneers of some early events, like especially going back to like PenFest and Rainbow Fest and stuff. So um, where do we want to begin with this? Like the what was the community like in, in the glory days? Anybody want to start with that? Rick. <laughs> well, I suppose I could start. Yeah. Uh, no pressure. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Thank you. You're too kind. Way, here, you're way too kind. Yeah. Um, not kind enough. Okay. Um, in the early days, uh, there wasn't much to speak of. Uh, you might know a Radio Shack uh, manager that would know of a local users group. Uh, among my circle of friends, it was a little different. Uh, in that uh, we had like about five people at work that got color computers. And I was looking for, uh, I was actually looking to get uh, an Atari ST. And my friend Dale Lear at work uh, talked me into getting a color computer. So we got about five people that got color computers. And so uh, we are our, our instant uh, own uh, users group. And uh, Dale was a real go-getter. And by, you know, so we looked at, uh, you know, we, we had... Uh, uh, felt the, you know, the, 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 the magazine and, and, uh, uh, you know, rainbow. And, uh, so we had all had subscriptions to that. So we had, uh, we had our own user group. There were local user groups that we would go to from time to time, which mostly tended to be hotbeds of, uh, pirating games. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> 
hey, it's 30 years uh, on. Yeah. Yeah. You'll never if find a I... more wretched hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> <laughs> Dale and I showed up to uh, uh, one of our local user groups, and uh, uh, while Dale was talking to the guy that ran the user group, uh, one of his compatriots was uh, behind Dale uh, taking a uh, program pack from his uh, backpack and taking it over to copy it, and it wouldn't copy. So he comes back to Dale and says, hey, your game, it, it won't copy. And Dale says, give me that. <laughs> <laughs> your game won't copy. Uh, yeah, how I dare you. you. <laughs> really. Um, so, uh, and Dale, by that time, uh, was, he had, uh, you know, sent on a double back to Tandy, and he was in touch with uh, Marty Goodman. Marty Goodman lived in the South Bay area, which was a little, you know, bit south of us. Uh, so he was had Marty on the phone all the time, and uh, he would, you know, hey, you want to talk to Marty Goodman? I'm like, Marty Goodman, he writes for Rainbow Magazine. I can't talk to him. I'm a nobody, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, go uh, go ahead, give it a try. What could it hurt, you know? So, uh, hi, my Marty. Uh, what's what's up? Um, so there was that, and then there was the uh, uh, the Delphi days. Uh, so. Delphi started, I, I guess the, the Coco Sig on Delphi started, looks like it started uh, August in, of 85. And uh, so I looked at the, uh, they had a double page ad on Rainbow in Rainbow Magazine of, you know, get on Delphi, it'll be wonderful, it'll be awesome. And this was all new, uh, all this online stuff uh, to us. So, uh, I stared at that double page ad for getting on Delphi for about a year and then finally got on Delphi. And, uh, and, uh, so there was that going on, uh, lots of discussion of, uh, you know, I got on there and they said, Oh, well he wrote temple of Rome. So uh, maybe we want to get a hold of this guy. So they made me, you know, part of the staff of, you know, Delphi, uh, Coco Sig. So I was like the data database manager. I don't even remember quitting that, but I obviously I did. Uh, so and they then they closed that down. Uh, looks like it was uh, April of two thousand and one. Wow, from eighty five to two thousand and one, we're talking about fifteen years. I think it's from maybe sixteen. Sixteen, yeah. So was was Delphi a paid many? service like CompuServe? Yes, sure was. Okay. Yeah, along with Genie, CompuServe, and a few others. Yeah. Yeah, oh yeah, uh, and uh, yeah, CompuServe was uh, too rich for my blood, so I wasn't. I was I actually was on. It says my internet connection is unstable. Am I doing okay? Your, your yeah, audio's okay. coming oh. through. Your your video is getting a bit jerky, but uh... okay. Um, so yeah, I was on CompuServe a little bit, but uh, the only reason I really I could afford Delphi was that you know since I was on staff, they you know they gave me a free account. Uh, but it still did cost me. So, uh, and then uh, I remember at the end, uh, Dale and I decided. Well, you know, they've they, they've discontinued the color computer, and so we sort of got out of the scene. Uh, and then much later, we you know I came back. So, and so that's my story. All right. So you you and you mentioned yourself and Dale Lear. 
very casually, but you guys developed some of the earliest uh, commercial, you know, kind of blockbuster games for the Coco back in the day, uh, right. which is very cool. So you have a, you've got a relationship with Tandy and, and, and software and all kinds of stuff. That's a perspective that I think most people don't have. So that's really interesting to, to see that take on it. Um, very cool stuff. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I, I had a club, a local computer club. That was my, uh, my experience, you know, growing up, we had the Radio Shack store, the people maybe you met there, and then we had the, the computer club. So you didn't feel completely isolated, but you didn't, I don't think I had any clue on the bigger picture of what it was like to be at a rainbow fest or anything like that. That's uh, right. Yeah. Yeah. There was rainbow fest. And then there was like the, the BBSs. Yeah, and I missed the whole online train completely on the Coco. I don't know why it just didn't really appeal to me. I wasn't that interested. I got more into BBSs on like the Tandy One Thousand and stuff. Um, uh, as... Developers tend to interact with each other. Like I know you knew Dale. Uh, mm -hmm. What other developers did you uh, interact with? Uh, a little bit with Steve Bjork. Uh, other developers. That is about it. Uh... Yeah, there's, you know, and there's Marty. And then I would, you know, interact with the, the Falsoft people at the, at the, uh, uh, the Rainbow oh, well. and the Delphi uh, booth at Rainbow Fest. And I think that's about it, it for developers, yeah. Well, so I often wondered. can you give us a kind of encapsulation? So now we're, now we're in the Facebook era. We got Facebook, we got Twitter, we've got a, a ton of online services that are just kind of the, our fabric. But uh, in, the, in the Delphi time, this, not everybody was online, number one. Number two, this was a, this was a electronic community that you were a member of, what was the chemistry like there compared to what it's like now? Like now on social media, you know, you can get uh, <laughs> the gamut of, of how people treat each other with civility and lack of civility and all kinds of other things. What was the climate like in the Delphi days with these online personas and posting? Were there controversies? Were there wars? Were, were people tear apart a post <laughs> and things like that? Um, I missed that train, so. Yeah. Uh, there were, um, most of the time, everybody was really, really civil with one another. Uh, there were little controversies and little wars and, and things like that. There was a lot of sort of good-natured competition between the CompuServe people and the Delphi people. Yeah. But that was pretty, uh, you know, civilized. That, for the that was tongue-in-cheek for the most part. Exactly, yes. Kind of like um, college rivalries, uh, you know, yeah, Florida State <laughs> versus... Uh, There's yeah. a lot of common people on both groups, too. Like, in okay. my case, CompuServe, because up here in Canada, we had an extra charge. Like, you had the standard Delphi CompuServe charge. But then we had to do the, what was called data pack. Add an extra nine bucks an hour to whatever your existing fee was. Wow. So it was really expensive up here. And in my case, CompuServe actually ended up doing a direct line into the city where I'm in. So all of a sudden, the price dropped in half, which is why I did CompuServe, not Delphi, because Delphi never did that. Um, but yeah, there was a bit of a friendly rivalry, but a lot of the same faces were on both of them anyway. So it, it right. wasn't, wasn't too bad. And also, I think one thing different compared to, say, with Facebook now is that moderators on both Delphi and CompuServe and even Genie and some of the other ones that also had Coco communities was a little bit more strict. Like if you started going too far off the rails or started you know, personalizing attacks on people, they would just cut you off and shut you out. Okay. Mm -hmm. There was none of this letting it ride and, you know, go on for weeks and months. Yeah. We would have, we would have controversies and uh, sort of little battles and stuff. Uh, 
mostly revolving around one person or a number of people just not understanding each other online and not really understanding what the other person was getting at. And a lot of times it would get pumped up by all of the two fact, the factions, uh, little fanboys. It's sort of like the. <laughs> well, one thing I will mention too, Marty seemed to be at the center of quite a few of these. Marty was a really kind of a controversial. <laughs> Uh, poke it with a stick kind of a guy. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, yep. But, uh, usually what would happen is that the two people that were fighting would actually call each other on the phone. Oh, wow. Imagine that. And suddenly discover that they completely had nothing to fight about, you know, even though they would be surrounded by uh, uh, you know, groups of people on either side that were like, cage match, cage match, yes, fight, fight. You know, they would get on the phone, they would they would hash it out, and they would suddenly discover that there was nothing to fight about whatsoever, that one had completely misunderstood the other, and it would all be good. And this happened like two or three times. Hmm. Um, and... I, I Yeah, I remember again getting involved in some of these little... Uh, tussles and you know not I wasn't always the most mature person back then I'm not always the most mature person now but (laughs) but I'm better (laughs) so that's all you can ask for and I'll be better still in the future so um, always growing yep all we can do is hopefully continuously improve our code right so yeah, <laughs> oh, I get into a bit more of the earlier community too. <clears throat> I don't know if you guys have the same experience that have been around since like the Coco first came out. Like, like, like uh, Rick mentioned though. I mean, like you, you'd go to Radio Shack and sometimes a manager would turn you on to a, a users group. In our case, I happened to randomly meet a couple other Coco users and we formed the users group um, between three of us. Um, but there was also like uh, in our high school, and this is one thing I, I really liked about ours. I don't know if others had the same experience, but they were realizing that computers were getting popular. They had a few, you know, pets and Cabal twos and stuff. And uh, but they know that a lot of the students were getting all kinds of different computers because there was Ataris and Sinclairs and all kinds of things. So they were buying subscriptions to some of the generic magazines in the school library, like Creative Computing and Byte, and they you know, have an article or two on every computer basically as you, as you went through. So that was one way where a lot of us were learning how to do things was that, you know, there's these generic computer magazines that you get programs for all these different computers. Yeah, yeah. So a lot of us did that. Um, BBSing, I started in that, uh, I think late 1982 is when I first started doing some BBSing stuff. And there wasn't any Cocoa specific BBSs until the next year. Uh, at one point here in Saskatoon, and I mean, at the time we were a city of 150,000, I think we had six Cocoa based BBSs. We had about 35 BBS is total, but the Coco was actually one of the more popular wow. ones. That's interesting. Um, uh, I already talked about, you know, CompuServe. Uh, for me, CompuServe at the beginning, uh, I think was pretty, like David Philson, Dave Philson, uh, author of Supercom here mentioned that he thought Delphi was better for technical. I think later on that was definitely true. I think because it was cheaper for Delphi uh, users, especially in the States, that they would go and a lot of them started congregating more in Delphi. So your, your quality of the people went kind of followed it. I think in the early 80s, though, I think, uh, yeah, and even the first year or two, the Delphi had a Coco Sega. Definitely CompuServe was the place to be. And Genie had its own, too. Um, the other one I wanted to mention, um, 
at the very beginning, before Rainbow, before Color Computer News and all these Color Computer specific magazines come out, there were a couple besides Biden Creative Computing, but there was also like the world of six to eight microjournals, which actually covered the six to eight hundred and up and had been around for a couple years before the Cocoa came up. But they actually had a Cocoa section like right within the first couple months. In fact, they're the first ones that explain how to copy ROM cartridges, going back to you know, the story about uh, <laughs> Ordell and his his cartridge. Uh, the, other thing, the other thing I want to mention too, and I don't know how many of you were involved with this, but um, in the BBS scene, there was also FidoNet, which is a big, you know, kind of a almost like an internet, but based on microcomputers all interconnected. And every night at two in the morning, they'd call each other and dump messages for all the various forms back and forth. There was a Cocoa form, an OS9 form, and then uh, for all kinds of computers and other topics and stuff. It's almost like a Usenet type thing, but totally based on micros. And we had a version of a BBS called Ribs by Ron Byler that actually ran on the Cocoa that was FidoNet compatible, so we could take part in this whole thing. And that was a lot of communication there. And of course, that was completely free because it was a local call to you. And then, you know, at, at late at night when the rates were cheaper is when all these BBSs would talk to each other. So it was, they never charged any of us for this. And it, that was a worldwide thing. So stuff was going across North America to go across to Japan and go across to Europe. And we did a lot of communication that way. And uh, Rick, I, I'm guessing you probably used Usenet a bit in the day too to some of the oh, groups. Absolutely. Yeah. Matter of fact, I, I, read, I ran my own Usenet node uh, from my color computer. Oh, cool. As you might cool. remember. Yeah. I kind of forgot about that till you mentioned, but yeah, I don't know that you do. Yeah. But yeah, there's, there's, little, there's also groups there for Omosign and Cocoa and stuff too, Alt Listserv, right. Cocoa, and all kinds of stuff too. So that was another way a lot of us communicated back then too. Um, and the magazines and the trade shows, as, as mentioned before, like PenFest and Color Expo and, you know, Rainbow Fest and everything else too. So there's there was a lot of ways to get communicated and it, it grew kind of almost exponentially, I think, between the early 80s through the late 80s. And then it kind of started to die back down a bit as as the computer got discontinued and all the bigger machines were like the Macs and PCs were taken over. But ironically enough, the last few years, it's been seen a resurgence. It's actually growing again. It's not shrinking. Mm -hmm. anymore. So, yeah. yeah. That's yeah. the rather when unique. they, when they disconnect, when they discontinued the color computer, I mean, that hit us in the gut, mm -hmm. you know, it's like, well, the bottom just fell out, you know? So, uh, and so then, Dale, you know, Dale and I left and, a lot of you guys stayed. So, you know, everybody says, you know, well, you, you know, you did a, a, a an actual game for Tandy, you know, you're, you must be pretty special. And I'm like, no, you guys are the special guys. You know, I dropped out for many, many years. So, so uh, Delphi, just before they, they pulled the plug on Delphi, uh, somebody, I guess it's uh, Alan Weston, did a dump of every message that he could get a hold of on uh, Delphi. And uh, so that's available in the Color Computer Archive, uh, a database of all those messages. And so just recently, I put those on the web. Yeah, so we'll, we'll sh we're going to show that off. Well, that's right. Sorry. Yeah, no, that's yeah. fine. But I just want to just, yeah, yeah we, we'll, we'll show that off on all its glory. And I'm really Moving interested on. in that, too. No, you don't have to move on. Just, just remind oh, yeah. you. We want to spotlight it. Yeah. Right. Um, okay. I so will mention Alan West. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead, Rick. It was interesting. It's like I looked just now. And uh, so I had, uh, uh, there's 859 messages from me in, in there. And there's 856 from York. So I beat him. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, uh, that's not necessarily true because there's a lot of messages that are missing. Ah. So, so it's not necessarily true. 
It's not. Steve was a six eight oh nine er back then, wasn't he? Yes, sixty eight oh nine er was was sixty eight oh nine er. No, his the, username. The times of uh, handles. Yeah. Dale and I were were uninspired. You know, my handle was Rick Adams, and his <laughs> handle was Dale Lear. So yeah. Yeah. And see, that was easier to use in CompuServe where you had those stupid numbers. Like mine was 71310, oh, 71. Yeah. 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 That's something I'll never have to remember. Uh, <laughs> that's and then funny. Dale Lear had, uh, I, I see 88 messages. So I don't know. I, I'm thinking that he had more than that and there needs to be missing. Mm. There, there's a bunch missing. I mean, when Alan dumped that, he also dumped the Oceanside BBS uh, message mm -hmm. logs as far as he could. He also dumped uh, CompuServe. And actually, I've got those on my website, just not not interactive like you're you're working right. on we'll discuss later. Mm -hmm. But I just have dumps of the messages. But I know there's a ton of stuff that I wrote even during that time frame, that's not on there. So it's uh, it's intermittent, I guess, as to how full the thing yeah. Is. It's still nice to have, just like we were talking about earlier, preserving the CPUs um, to preserve some of this human interaction that's taken place in the history of, of the well, other thing that both those communities had too was they had file upload download areas too where people were submitting software like crazy or patches yeah. else mm -hmm. and a lot of that stuff has been lost i mean some of it's on rtsi and some of it some of us managed to keep in, in yeah. Yeah, yeah but there's chunks i know that i used to have that are gone my floppies don't work and nobody else seems to have them so there's there's a lot of software that got lost yeah mm -hmm. yeah I, I that's kind of not to get off too far off topic but the whole fact of uploading software to bulletin boards that's how i was by chance able to come across my my game cosmic aliens that yeah. i thought i'd lost for forever it, it yeah. made its way to the internets so yeah it's kind of cool that nice. we, we can preserve stuff um cool so we've heard some from rick rick's had an interesting uh glory day stuff in the in the coco <laughs> community and we heard from curtis and um well, before we move on to some other people, so we we look at the '80s and the '90s, right? And so I think with the 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 relevant period of the Coco Three probably f faded towards the end of the '90s or early 2000s, maybe. When when can we say that the Coco kind of went dark for a little bit? Would you say late '90s, early 2000s? Well, Delphine CompuServe both shut down or amalgamated their their Coco sections. Like there used to be a separate OS9 Coco and a separate Coco Coco for the our star stuff. And they kind of shrunk them together, and then you know because the community was shrinking. Um, the FidoNet system, I think that went on till probably the early two thousands, I think, where you could still get those, and then those kind of died down. I think even Usenet kind of went down in usage at that time. Did Coco so. Three get uh, killed by Radio Shack by Tandy. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, if we had to pick a, if we had to pick an arbitrary year where we could say the Coco kind of went offline coco or the coco community or anything else was there was there a particular year where we could say where things got really really quiet and maybe were I would, almost I would non-existent say the early 2000s because early 2000s uh, when, when rainbow yeah. went under and rainbow lasted to what 93 or something i think mm -hmm. then you know um frank swagger came out the world in six state micros and he kept that going for multiple years and he had several hundred subscribers and it became a kind of a replacement magazine homemade and it had a lot of really good stuff and a lot of us subscribed to it. There was actually a few of these other magazines that went yeah. through. And that kind of kept the community going. But after a while, even that died down. So once those started to die off, the homemade magazines, I think that's when it really started to go. Yeah. It's actually amazing that the Coco lasted as long as it did. It came out in 1980. Um, it, The Coco 3 was released in 
around, excuse me, around 86, and then it was retired around maybe 91. 91, so you're talking about 10 or 11 years when it was still a mainstream commercial product. That's that's significant period of time just in itself right there. So we had 10 years of officially Tandy-fueled time um, and then probably another 10 years of momentum that was just carried on by everybody until maybe it started to idle a little bit. But now we're talking about 20 years. So we're getting into the early 2000s. That's That's pretty impressive, right? Um, how many of you went to some of the big events like a rainbow fest or a pen fest or some of these big heyday moments that a lot of us probably never got a chance to see? I did. I I, I first started going to rainbow fest in uh, 1986, which I think was one of the largest ones too, if I remember correctly. Um, and then Coco fest, I went to pen fest 2000 as the one that Nick actually came in to North America, and then we paid to ship him back. Um, <laughs> Worth every penny, right? So. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what What were some of the numbers? I heard I heard it was like in the thousands, like multiple like yeah, well, thousand, fifteen hundred, two thousand, three thousand people. Show. Yeah, yeah. Ra- Rainbow Fest in its heyday. I mean, the official numbers from Rainbow were around twelve to fifteen thousand at the biggest ones. Wow. But Steve has mentioned that was based on if counting count- the three days together. Okay. If it was the same people. I, it wasn't all the same people, so it, I'd say it's probably at least six to seven thousand. Wow! It was old. It was, it was in a large, much larger hotel than that's you're used insane. To. That's insane. It's hard to imagine. Other than like, yeah, I mean, even now, like maybe a Comic Con, you know, you get something big like that. But yeah, I don't know if the best vintage computing festival. Well, what did they say? You guys were at VCF West. What did they have like twelve hundred people for that weekend? VCF West seemed to be pretty big this year. That's actually a respectable number. Right. Um, the guys who were there a couple of weeks ago, because um, I, I think there's definitely a resurgence where it's 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 gaining momentum again. Um, who else on the panel's got some Glory Day members uh, memories? And then I kind of want to start to contrast some of that, you know, some of where we were, we were kind of we're at peak velocity. We started to idle. We were flatline for a little while. And then we'll talk about what's been happening since we've been coming back. Um, Nick Nick Marentes, how was your Pen Fest memories and experiences? Are you? Well, um, actually, what I might do is I might start by saying uh, about how I left the Coco scene back in uh, 92, 93. That was when Tandy um, um, discontinued the Coco. And uh, I was, you know, disappointed and I thought, well, that's the end of the Coco. Time to move on. So I packed up the cocoa, put it aside and figured that was the end of the show. But uh, around uh, 1998, I think it was, I decided with the internet now, uh, looking on the internet, I noticed there was a fair bit of cocoa activity coming up. And the thing that got me the, interested the most was uh, when I saw um, John Kowalski's demos and some of the things he had created which got me interested. I thought, well, this this looks really good. This is very Amiga-like, some of the demos he'd done. And that got me interested because I wasn't a, an Amiga person as well. And that got me interested. And I set up the Coco uh, 3 again. And I started uh, writing another game. And I released Pac-Man in uh, nine, late 98, I think it was, uh, which uh, also led for me to go to PenFest 99. Um, and from, then, from all your Pac-Man money, 
No, no, that was <laughs> <laughs> that was before that. Yeah. But um, uh, because of uh, my Pac-Man <laughs> uh, I was invited to come again in two thousand, and um, this time I was a, I was a co-organizer of the sh- uh, of Penfest two thousand. So it, things started to really uh, boom. I could see the Coco community was on the way up, and uh, Penfest 2000 was pretty interesting. I always wanted to go to a, a Coco Fest, you know, mm-hmm. reading about them all in the 80s, all the big ones, the Rainbow Fests and all that, all the famous personalities, you know. Do I'd like to see Steve Bjork, for example, the the uh, the guru of Coco gaming or whatever. And uh, I never, yeah, I never, I never saw that, but. I had the chance uh, in 1999 and then again in 2000 to be part of the, the fest and uh, PenFest 2000 was 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 my uh, my glory day. Right, and that was celebrating the 20th anniversary of the it Coco the at that 20th, point. Yeah. yeah, it was, 20 years ago. Yeah, 20, so, yeah, can you imagine? It's hard to imagine. 20 years ago was that, the 20th. Yeah. That's right. So what were the big, numbers? What, what do you guys think the turnout uh, was for I that? seem to recall... It was, and I do have the numbers because I was the co-organizer. Uh, I think we got about 120 individuals. Okay. Uh, that's counting them once. Okay. So in, in total, <laughs> over over the the two two okay. and a half okay. day period, yeah. Yeah. So it was think, pretty big but, because the the Coco Fest around that time were starting to to drain, like uh, Curtis said, the things were starting to. To, to bottom out so with penfest 2000 i wanted to try and see if i can rebuild it a bit and we did uh it actually came uh, in, in, the numbers improved we had a pretty good show and that kick started a bit then uh, I, i'm not sure what happened afterwards uh, i think it got quieter uh, there but then the whole retro community started to grow uh, to the point where we're, we're now seeing a big revival in the Coco, yeah. in, in anything, in uh, Commodores and whatever. So it's a good time to, to play with the Coco. Absolutely. Now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I want to add one thing on the 90s too. Like after Tandy discontinued the Coco and things had started to die down, we did get a brief resurgence in 93, 94, uh, and then through the late 90s, which included the Penfests. I think that was kind of the tail end of it. Because that was when the six through nine was discovered, and all yeah. of a sudden, you know, here we have an accelerator now. Basically, I mean, unfortunately, that seemed to be concentrated on the OS nine side of things only at that time. Like we all, there was multiple products using it, but uh, it actually did create started, a resurgence. You started Nitrous nine around ninety two, wasn't it? Yeah, and, and PowerBoost came beat us by a couple yeah. of months. Yeah, so there so, was two competing products. But uh, as far as the RS-DOS community, I mean, Roger Taylor did a few things with it, and uh, one or two others did, I think, but not too many people did. Um, I, I think the bad. 90s became the, uh, the the OS 9 or Nitrous 9 period. Yeah. Uh, that tended that's to take I mean. over. And I, I, guess, I guess that's why, that's why I you left. This <laughs> 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 is too smart for me. I'm leaving. Well, yeah. it, it, <laughs> for me personally, it didn't excite me. So I thought, well, this is dying. So I left. Uh, but when I, like I said, when I came, looked back at it in late in, in 98, and I saw what Sockmaster was doing with the graphics and, and yeah. not OS 9, I guess. Um, I got excited again. I thought, well, this is good stuff. 
So that that's what got me back. If it, if it wasn't for, for Sockmaster's work, I wouldn't have come back probably. Wow. Well, so, so we have, we have the Sockmaster to thank and or scorn, depending on how you look well, at it, right? So yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> I mean, I, I was always into graphics, into games. So yeah, I mean, that was yeah. that was that was what, what interested me. Um, if I was a Noah's Nine, I would, I would have been the other way around. But uh, yeah, sure. I, was a, I was into graphics. I was into sound. I was into that sort of thing, and that to me seemed like it was dying. So that's why I lost interest. But yeah, it, it's all coming back. So when did uh, when did um, Coco Fest start? That was around ninety one, ninety two, right? Right after the last Rainbow Fest, right? So was that around ninety two? Would have been the first Coco Fest. Ninety two. So so when Coco Fest, the Coco Fest was like the annual pilgrimage for Coco lovers, and so the Glenside Color Computer Club had the. Uh, last Chicago Cocoa Fest, which was supposed to be one more hoorah. There's no more Rainbow Fest, so let's just have well, a Chicago Cocoa Fest, right? Um, the the first Chicago Cocoa Fest was actually mainly spearheaded. I mean, Glenside definitely helped quite a bit, but it was mainly spearheaded of Cocoa Pro, which was a software vendor at the time, one mm-hmm. of the main one we had left at that point. And they're the ones that kind of organized it the first year. They're the ones who got that started. And then Glenside took it over starting the second year. Okay. Right, so around '91 we had Coco Fest, and 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 to their credit, and to this day, Coco Fest is still here. Right, I've been to four in a row now, past four years, but I just found out about it. I'm I'm kind of a newbie to the community, um, but Glenside has been keeping the Chicago Coco Fest alive for what is this going to be now? The 29th. Ninth, yeah. 29th annual last Chicago Coco Fest. 29 years they've been keeping that that flame alive that's that's pretty impressive um how many of you have been to some of the er- earlier coco fest versus some of the newer coco fest you have any um experiences to contrast and compare um well as as, as nick mentioned the the 90s was basically the os9 nitrous nine years okay um, for the first couple of that plus there was a lot that was all the coco fours too like the mm1 the Tom Cats, TC70, TC9, the uh, System 4 and System 5, PT68K boards. So there was a lot of enthusiasm about the 68K-based machines, too. Um, and then they, uh, Chris Burke was working on the Rocket board, which is basically going to take one of those types of machines on a card to put into your Cocoa itself, and then you'd get a kind of a dual hybrid machine, unfortunately, mm. orders to, uh, to do the hardware. And as we were discussing earlier with Urtic and stuff, um, back then to do the hardware was hyper expensive and you had to send off to get boards made for a thousand dollars for a sample and whatever else. So he needed a minimum of like 500 orders. So he had, I think he only made it up to 300 with deposits. Wow. So Return the money and, and then couldn't go any further than that, unfortunately. Um, but yeah, no, it's, um, it, it definitely kept things going. The Coco four had a lot of enthusiasm, but once again, that was for the, uh, the, the OS nine people. And, and Nick's Nick's right. That decade was pretty well I, until the tail end of it was basically the the OS nine people were thriving like crazy. Yeah, this basically it kind of died down, and then yeah. it kind of reversed in the two thousands. And is that was that kind of considered the 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 divide at that point where you had the OS niners versus the RS dosers? Um, yeah, was... I mean, I don't. It wasn't a divide on purpose. I think it was because people were trying to come up with new hardware to keep the Coco community alive and to give us new stuff, mm-hmm. hard drive controllers and 
no halt floppy controllers and all this kind of stuff, the fancier hardware. And it was just, it was so much easier to write a driver for Nitrous 9 or OS 9. You just plop this in, you install the new hardware and away you go. You don't have to change anything else. All your programs just run. Whereas, you know, uh, if you're trying to do that in disk basic, you had to do these kind of hack job things and they weren't hundred percent compatible. And, you know, sometimes things work, sometimes they didn't. We even hit that in the SDC occasionally these days where you have to kick it back to disk basic to get certain yeah. programs run properly. And on OS 9, for the most part, we did not have to worry about that. You just, oh, I replaced my old MFM drive with a SCSI drive or an ID drive. I just replace it and swap the driver out and voila, I'm up and running. Boom. Yeah. Were there any um, kind of spats or, you know, personality clashes back in the older days where individuals or groups or camps were, uh, you know, less filling, taste great type stuff? Or was it fairly civil in the 90s and early 2000s? Well, there was the OS9 disk basic divide that I think it was more tongue in cheek. There was a few people that were kind of serious on both sides of it. Hi, okay. Nick. Um, Hi, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> he's now a champion of OS 9 but yeah. as you can see it's still there um, yeah, no but... he's turned his coat <laughs> yeah. um, no the, the only real controversies I remember was not based on platforms or even personalities per se there were some bad business deals that went down that caused a bit of friction mm. there were some people that took you know money for orders that ordered a bunch of chips and stuff for upgrades or cards and all of a sudden they disappeared ah okay and uh, that that caused some bad blood with with some of the community. So what what since you've been to more than one uh, Cocoa Fest, what was your most densely populated and sparsest Cocoa Fest you were at, Curtis? Well, the uh, sparsest would have been the last one I went to when I took a break from the community. Well, I didn't take a break from the community as a whole. I stayed on the list uh, list serves and I stayed on um, the internet stuff. My website, my game site, and stuff started during this period too. But basically from 2002 on till we both went to the same Coca Fest with your first one. Mm -hmm. um, the last one before I left, it had already been dying down as like this eight, maybe 80 to 90 people. So it was just the diehards. Um, yeah. the, but the very first few, I mean, there was hundreds of people at, at some of the ones in the early 90s. But nothing like Rainbow Fest. I mean, Rainbow Fest itself had shrunk quite a bit by the end too, but yeah. 86, 87, 88, like right after the Coco 3 came out or before, they were huge. Right. And it's still, the 80, getting 80 people together is not, it's not, that's not a shameful number uh, by any means. But it, luckily it has grown. Like, like yeah. um, you know, the PenFest 2000 <laughs> was a 20, 20th anniversary celebration and, and 120 people is not bad. But, you know, uh, you would you would have hoped maybe you had more. But, it's but we're, still, we're I'm almost sure. back up to that again yeah, now. Yeah, 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 yeah. 20 years later, right? So it's taken, it's taken that long, right? So. And I know, like, I, I don't know if anybody in the panel here, but I, I remember talking to some of the people that had went to the shows between 2002, my last one in 2015. Mm -hmm. They had been down to, like, what, 50 or 60 or something, I think. It's wow. Much. wow. It was down pretty low. But you got. But here's the thing, though. You the fact that it's lasted 29 years. Even if there were five or six people, if you can get five or six people once a year and keep that going for 29 years, that's huge, right? Um, so we really got to give Glenside a lot of credit for really, you know, it's just been this thread that's been here forever. That's been part of the fabric of this, right? And they've been. Uh, it's really impressive when you think about it. They um, still have their cocoa picnics too. Yeah. Yeah. So that is, that is, that's really cool. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, I mean, my experience with what we now consider to be the community only goes back four or five years, and 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 so I I've kind of I've got some newer experiences, but I have kind of assembled my own picture of kind of what I think how things were, you know, not way back when, but maybe five years before till now, you know. So I kind of have this. I have my own kind of. Um, image in my head of how things were you know so it definitely seems like there was that time where things idled maybe almost stalled is this kind of quiet um we can definitely say that you know, probably 2015 was the big year for kind of the the reignition of things right so around that time is when um as you know the coco crew podcast they started the the Google Plus group, the Facebook group, the mailing list never really went away, but it's kind of, I think it got a little bit with other forms of social media, I got maybe more exposure put on it. So, I mean, my, my history goes back to around 2015, um, which now we're looking at going on, you know, five years. Um, and I have an, I have an idea of what things were like leading up to that. You know, there were still some of the diehards that were around i think some of the stuff that like uh a lot of the projects that john linville has been posting go back to like 2010 yeah, some of his projects with um like the coco video player and things like that you know um, i think farfall started around 2011 so i think it probably even started prior to that but maybe that wasn't as visible maybe the light wasn't as bright you know the sphere of influence wasn't quite as big but i think it's it definitely has been growing momentum now we're probably looking at 10 years of a slow build and now it's kind of almost snowballed to the part where it's like exponential growth, it feels like. It feels like in the past five years, um, the size of the Facebook has grown, the size of uh, the kind of the awareness and projects, hardware and software projects. It seems like every year we got more and more things to be excited about, especially these past five years. But I think it's I think where we are now has probably been about a 10 year path. Right. If you from that's that's about as far back as I can look and think I have a, an idea of. But you guys would have more perspective on that. Yeah, I think you nailed it on the head as to why it's been expanding. One that's expanding on social media with Facebook and stuff that people can get onto much easier than, you know, trying to figure out an IRC channel or something um, or getting on the listserv. Mm -hmm. um, and also the fact that new hardware, new software started coming out, because from my understanding from the last few years in the late 2000s is that basically it was just people reselling stuff. That had been out for years already. Oh, okay. Or yeah. Stuff. It was almost became like a flea market. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there was nothing you know innovative or new coming on, and then some new hardware, new software, podcasts, etc., started coming online, and that's kind of picked yeah. Up the uh, people on YouTube, you know. Um, yeah. So I mean, that's kind of what got me exposed or discovered too was just putting stuff on YouTube, um, just as a new platform that probably had not been really deeply utilized I, I think even some of the bigger retro uh what more well-known retro people on youtube they maybe don't go back much further than 2010 either right um I but enjoyed watch i was watching uh gameplay videos for coco and that's how i found you guys and your other uh, a couple other guys who were putting play videos uh person named martin lee or martin yeah or yeah marlon did, lee yeah he did a lot of coco uh youtube play videos and then uh so i watched his and i watched yours and and that's how i ended up uh here yeah so i think some of the, i think the internet the modern internet and you know what we'll call social media and i'm going to include youtube in on that so youtube and facebook have probably been great assets to raising awareness right getting more people involved um yeah that's it's been an interesting ride can i do a screen share 
yes, go ahead, L. Curtis. Find it here. Now, James Jones says, an annual picnic that the Glenside people held, Boise and I went to one, and on the <laughs> way back went a bit nearer to a possible tornado that I would have liked, <laughs> even for an Oklahoma boy. All right. Somebody had asked what the, raid, uh, what the cocoa picnic was. So James yeah. answered them. Uh-huh. So are you guys seeing my screen there? That's yeah, a shot the, of, the uh, Rainbow uh, Reporter. Rainbow. So that's just a shot of one of the hallway paths. And oh, you can wow. see it's pretty well wall-to-wall people that you can't even move. Yeah. That's yeah. what I remember from Rainbow Fest and its prime, is that it was just wall-to-wall people. So yeah. Another one here with Dave Dyes. Or, uh, that's the Radio Shack booth there on the right. Disto. The control, the super controller, huh? Free pictures for Coco Max too. Yeah, it's a pretty yeah, good publication. Shot of just one of the halls, you know, one of the aisles, and there was multiple aisles going in both directions. Tom Mix Software brings on the games, huh? Look at that, huh? Jane There's Dave guys in the front right there. That's the guy who wrote up most of the Dicom stuff. Huh. We got to be pretty good friends with him, me and Bill. But you can see, I mean, it's just like yeah your walking area was crowded and this is while there's like eight seminars going on at the same time that other people are attending. Yeah. So, it's, I mean, insane. It, it's, it's a world above what we're getting now, but I mean, we're heading the right direction. Yeah. 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 I think something like VCF Midwest, um, is probably one of the bigger, bigger shows like they've had to upgrade their venue at this point. Right. So, um, VCF East looked pretty good this year. Um, I think if there's any takeaway or any, um, free advice I could give is if anybody who's been on the fence about wanting to go to one of these things, or if you're not sure, or you're not completely sold, you just do it, you know, just get it done. I mean, it's, there's, there's no, yeah, there's nothing like it. You know, it really, it's, it's the, that it's just like a whole nother level. You know, um, if I think if anything else, one of the benefits we have now with technology is we're definitely closer together. Like, look at what we have now. Look at what look at what we're doing right now with Zoom. Right. We've got what, 12 of us right now. We're all live and interactive. It's almost like we're together. We're not quite, but it's pretty close. So uh, I think we are. Clo- I think technology is bringing us closer together. Our community is global. You know, right here on the panel, we've got Australia and Canada. Uh, we've got Denmark. We've got the U.K., you know, we've even got California there with uh, AirTurk. So, you know, we've got, uh, um, you know, so it's real. I think it's really cool how we have all this stuff right now. Um, and, and you hope, right, if we're right now we're talking about the past and the present, when we when, if we're going to project for the future, you would hope this will continue to grow and improve and hopefully become more positive. Right. Um, Chicago Rainbow Fest 1987 opens to thousands over 12,000 people joined Coco Cat for the 13th Rainbow Fest. Wow. Wow. Seminars and sandboxes were a hit, huh? Sandboxes where you get to play in a sandbox? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Wow, 12,000 people. That's just hard to imagine, right? I don't think even VCF Midwest is going to get 12,000 people. They might get 2,000. They might get 1,000. I don't know, but who knows? That's still pretty cool, right? Yeah. No, it was quite the show in its heyday. I mean, I've been to Comdexes. Obviously, it wasn't to that size, but it was. It was, it was big. products. Coco Cat makes first appearance, huh? Ah. Yeah. Coco Cat is alive. OS9 Level 2 makes a splash. Wow. Oh, look at that. A... Color Max 3 debuts at Chicago show. That's 
And there's Eric Gavrilek and uh, Greg Miller who wrote Color Max. Wow. Subscription software, T&D, huh? Computer Island. Uh, wow. Yeah, it's educational software. That's just an ad. Uh, Tim Franklin just joined in. He says he's in one of these pictures here. So Tim Franklin's in Chicago. There's right. Lillian Joe. Can you spot the MS-DOS user in this Cocoa crowd? Where's it? Where? Oh. <laughs> what? Can you see? On the lower, <laughs> lower left there. The MS-DOS user. The MS-DOS user. Where's that? Oh, is it not showing up on the screen here? Your, screen's, your screen is slightly clipped. There we go. And Marty Goodman on the right, he was a keynote speaker. This is the 87 uh, Chicago Cocoa. Okay. What publication is this? This is Rainbow. Rainbow. Oh, this is from Rainbow. Okay. Bargains for Everyone. HJL, Microcom, Disk Masters, Public Domain Software, uh, Spectro Systems, Fraser Electronics. Wow. Yep. Sardis, uh, David Weens, he's actually joined the Cocoa Group on Facebook, too, the guy that uh, did some of the floppy controllers that are mentioned over there. Hmm. There's Dale Puckett back in the day. Very cool. It was a great show. Yeah. yeah, it's great to see that we have some of the um, some of the people from way back when I've resurfaced and are you know kind of around and accessible. Um, it's very cool, right, to have access to the things you would you never have imagined, right, back in the day. Like, uh, you know, the people you meet at Rainbow Fest and, and having these conversations with Rick Adams, having him tell us about the good old days of him and his buddy Dale Lear and all these things. You, you never would have imagined you would be able to hear those stories in person, you know. So it's really cool the, um, the access we have now, too, which is, which is very cool that you, you, you just wouldn't have – who'd have thunk it back then, you know. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, obviously it, it seems like we've been on the rise for – it's been it took the first five years was maybe a slow burn but then the, this current five years that we've been on has really been an accelerated very consistent if you were to track that graph it's just been it's going up you know with no yeah, signs of is going up new hardware new software yeah is going up. yeah it, radio shack's back radio shack yeah. is back right it's because of this show coco talk they we inspired <laughs> them to yeah. To, re uh, to reopen, uh, may not actually be more, true. More outlandish lies. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, Jim Brain's a guy who's been around for a little while. What, are you, what is your take on the the past and the present of our community, and and where do you think where do you think our future is going? Well, I'll tell you. Uh, I'll start out a good story, but it has a good ending. So I just want to start that. <laughs> ending, but, Does that have anything to do um, with a big fish and a little fish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I picked up a my color computer was purchased at the VCF Midwest show I think in twenty it was either twenty thirteen or twenty fourteen um, and I got along with uh, some other classic machines and I didn't do a lot with it but the next spring I knew that there was a spring show called Coco Fest that was in Chicago at the Lombard facility where they had VCF Midwest. And so I thought, well, I should go. And I think that might have been 20, maybe it was 2015, um, may have been 2014. I don't know exactly. I have to look back at my, my uh, uh, receipts or whatnot. But I do remember the first time I showed up at the show, it was, I mean, great people, lots of Glenside folks and whatnot. But um, coming from the VCF Midwest show, which was kind of bursting at the seams down in that basement Lombard facility, um, 
it was was it was I was concerned because I came and I thought well um, I remember camping out at the one of the ends of the basement that big room and there was just a whole bunch of tables that didn't have anybody there and so there was just it was just free space and I remember bringing my computer down and setting it down there and I was working on it and whatnot and there was I mean there was the usual suspects that um, that you would expect to to be there kind of the anchor stores I guess so to speak um, but it was kind of probably half full or maybe a quarter full of, of, of uh, exhibitors and vendors and whatnot. And I thought, wow, you know, cause I'm, I'm used to some other, in, some other uh, platforms and I'm, I'm thinking, man, uh, I'm, you know, is this, is this kind of the end of the color computer um, kind of fan space or whatnot? Is it kind of just, is this going to be the last time that they have the last Coco Fest or whatnot? Um, and so I started getting online and whatnot, and I'm not trying to point out that, you know, I think I had anything to do with any kind of resurgence, but it does seem like about that time, I don't know if there was something that triggered that time frame or what, but it seemed like at the very beginning I got on and there was, like Curtis says, there wasn't a lot of new hardware or whatnot. I think that Coco SDC was, uh, Ed had just maybe brought out the first run of them or something. And... But then all of a sudden, it just seemed like there was some, you know, every week there'd be a little bit more interest and a little bit more interest and a little bit more interest. And um, then the next time I came to uh, Coco Fest that next year, it was pleasantly full. I would say the, that, that uh, main area was pleasantly full. And then, of course, uh, the next year I came back. And, and, and those kind of things spur you to come back. Right? Ooh, hey, it's growing. I'll come back and see what happens next year. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, 2017 uh, came back and it was um, there and I think it had it there was stuff on the outside or in the other room and then 18 there was it was all packed in the main room and there's a whole bunch of people uh, set up in that that side room and then of course this last year the same kind of thing has turned on everybody's kind of crammed in a little bit and of course now um, you know the Coco Fest is going to be moving to a new venue which is even larger right. it's great to that and so that's kind of the end of the story i mean as far as you know what i've seen kind of moving through um i was kind of concerned when i first showed up i think it was 2015 because it i mean the people who were there were excited to be there but there just wasn't a lot of people there and as much as it's it's nice to have the opportunity to get together and think of this like a reunion type of thing Mm -hmm. um you don't want it to be completely like a reunion whereas people quit coming because they either get too old to make the trip or they, you know, are no longer around. You need to have more, you know, you need to have a sustained influx of interest into the community. Um, not only that, but if the new ideas, um, you know, you'll go to the show and you're like, Oh wow, that's a really cool idea. And then you do a riff on that idea or whatever from a hardware or software perspective. So I've been pleasantly, you know, surprised. I've picked up a bunch more of the machines. Initially, I didn't know much about the platform. I, you know, I'm interested. I was interested in it from just academic perspective, but didn't really know anybody in the community. It's nice that you know, unlike you, Steve, and some of the other folks who are quite a ways away, um, Chicago's kind of in about my backyard, and so it's it doesn't the bar the the hurdle or the bar to to attend Coco Fest is is pretty much non-existent. I mean, it's a three-hour drive, and and I'm there, so. That's nice, but you, you even if it's just a three-hour drive, you don't want to go to a space like that um, if there continues to be fewer and fewer people to 
to kind of keep the flame alive. As right. far as the, as far as the community as a whole, um, I think, you know, Discord has been a has been a great thing. I've been on IRC for years and years and years, um, but you know, chat can suck up a major amount of your day if you're not careful. And the problem is um, with some of the older chat type technologies, you didn't really know if people were trying to get a hold of you or they were just generally talking about various topics or whatnot. So having having a, a kind of a chat thing like that, but a place where people can private message you and say, hey, you know, when you see this, I got a question about this or that or whatever. Um, it's nice. I know Facebook has the same kind of things, but oh my goodness, I, I, I get lost in all the spaces and nooks and crannies of Facebook trying to help answer questions and, and, and uh, message yeah, people. Yeah, the, the other nice thing about Discord too is you can share like photos and images and screens and stuff too. Yeah, where, yeah, it's absolutely. Just, yeah, so. Absolutely. So I, I love that and I've encouraged, you know, the, the interesting thing is, and I know you guys will love to crow about this, but um, the Coco Discord community seems to be extremely vibrant and large. Um, the other communities uh, that I'm involved with are that they don't seem to have that cohesive day-to-day um, communication vehicle uh, that they're that they're taking advantage of. Um, you know, there's still some Usenet folks, and there's still um, some folks on IRC. I'm on a couple IRC um, uh, channels for uh, for various platforms, and whatnot. But um, there's just not a lot. Of, it seems kind of dead. And I think for somebody what I'm really thinking and the reason I bring it up is that we all kind of maybe have a better idea of how the community is doing on a week by week, month by month basis. But if you have somebody that goes to a garage sale and they pick up a cocoa and they're like, Oh, Hey, I'm kind of technically inclined or electronically inclined. And I want to kind of play around with this. You know, the first thing they're going to do is they're going to go to Google and they're going to go search and see, you know, is there anybody else that I can talk to about this? Is there a community that I can yeah. join yeah. to play around with this? And if they go to, and the community says, oh, yeah, we have a Discord channel. Come to our Discord channel. And if they go to the channel and there's nobody saying anything or doing anything or anything like that for an extended period of time, I think they get the perception of, well, evidently this thing's dead. I'll go, I'll yeah. go throw it yeah. in the trash and I'll do something else. So I think there's, there's a uh, marketing or public relations thing that I know people don't want to really think about, but it's probably part of it to say, yes, we're still here. We're still doing cool things. Come and join us. Yeah, I agree. Oh, Stevie, I put a link in the uh, chat here in Zoom um, to Alan Huffman's Cocoa Fest archive photo site if you want to take a look at some fests from 97 on. Wow. Okay, well, we'll hold on to that. Um, but yeah, uh, put actually, let's, let's, I'm going to go ahead and throw that out there in uh, the chat for everybody else to see too. Um, yeah. But rather than just sucking up a lot of time with that, I'd like to get a few more people to maybe chime in on that, and then maybe we'll, we can move on to some news and I, stuff. I just figured if you yeah. wanted to, you, you could just go through the photos while other people are speaking. Uh, okay, yeah, not a bad idea. Not a bad idea. Um, uh, I mean, how are we doing on this topic? And Bill Noble has joined us. Hey, Bill, how's it going? Hello. Uh, speaking not of too uh, bad. Nitrous9, another another person responsible for that. So He's been to a few <laughs> fests, too. He's been to a few fests. Uh, we've been talking about the evolution of the community. You've you got some experiences you want to share, Bill, and the glory days versus the modern days? Uh, well, actually, <laughs> Curtis has pretty much covered most of it already. <laughs> <laughs> well, you're, out, you're, well, you missed a, you missed a good dis discussion earlier, too, from, uh, from Airturk, who's working on some Arduino stuff, which 
6809s and stuff and you're you're kind of like on the hardware side of stuff too bill so actually i actually did experiment with her tux uh stuff earlier i'm gonna okay. have to listen to that replay <laughs> yeah yeah so uh since you you're kind of like you're you're kind of on both sides of the fence on the hardware development and software development side what, what you know maybe what are some takeaways that you've experienced over the past couple of years that we got going on now that maybe we didn't have 10 years ago 20 years ago especially like on the you know the all the hardware emulation stuff you know oh well actually i've been uh experimenting with this uh tnt duino uh 3.6 uh with mark's board that actually interfaces to the coco and i've been kind of seeing if that it is actually really working well but it's deciding between whether i have to use the arduino ide or pure c because the tnc duino you can actually do a full development in pure c plus plus okay can you translate that to English for some of us who don't necessarily? Uh... <laughs> it's basically taking the TNC Duino and putting it directly on the Coco 3 bus. Okay. So you're talking to uh, an Arduino through, you're directly talking to it through the Coco. Yeah. Through okay. a specific address. Okay. Yeah. And that'll, of course, open up USB, real time clocks, all kinds of other things from what I found out about this thing. You had me at real-time clocks. Man. <laughs> Probably most of the people on the panel. <laughs> okay, Bill, so... What was the uh, the name of the platform? Uh, it's Teensy Duino. It's actually a, a, a microcontroller uh, put out by... I can't remember the guy's name. Uh, but it's at www.pjrc.com. Okay, yeah, Teensy. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. And it's a fairly cheap microcontroller as well. And so far, I'm actually getting somewhere with it. Yeah, I'm looking through the slideshow right now from 2013 from Alan Huffman's uh, photo gallery. And you see some familiar faces. So you got to figure 2013 was what now, six years ago. Right. Um, yeah, I even saw a picture of the infamous elevator. Yeah. <laughs> so when we so when we go back to uh, uh, where the hell is it? Group photos, right? So this is from. Uh, so here I recognize that's Bob Swoger right there. There's there's Boise. There's John Mark um, Mobley. I'm not sure who's carrying the chair right now. Um, is that that's Gary George? George in the back, isn't it? Okay. So, yeah, so you, you, you talk about your usual suspects from the Glenside crowd, right? So um, I think that's Mark Marlette right there from Cloud9. Yeah. There's uh, Chris Hawks, yeah. right? So some of the people you can kind of recognize, there's Chris Hawks and his wife. Um, yeah, there's uh, 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 bah, 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 William, William Astle. William Astle right there. So, yeah, William. Yeah, this is still at Heron Point, so we're, we've been touching the Heron for quite some time right now, right? So... There's the John Strong doing the group photo. The surprise, surprise, right? So, um, who do we see here? I mean, there's there's George. Uh, there's yeah, there's Mark Marlette in the background. Uh, yep, yeah, kind of the pictures are kind of small, but yeah, there's Jim O'Keefe. There's uh, is that Wally, front yeah, and center? Like okay, Brandon. there's Wally, George. Yeah, 
Uh, there's, yeah. So I mean, you talk about some of your diehards who have been keeping the the Glenside. That's a good group photo there. I wish you could get a little bit uh, a little bit bigger, picking up on there. Yeah. So so this is 2013. So this was even a little bit before. There's uh, uh, there's uh, um, um, John, and uh, John John and Neil in the background there. Yeah. Um, so, uh, this is right, right before the time that Jim, uh, brain was talking about this one actually looks halfway decent turnout. So maybe a year or two later is when we want to start to die off a little bit. Uh, so this is 2013. Well, I was going to mention the group photo that out front, if you remember the group photo, we took the 2015 one, I think yeah. we were quite a bit larger by that time. Right? Oh yeah. 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 So this was, this was the most, uh, one of the most recent ones prior to obviously the, the ones that we've all been attending for the past few years. So yeah, that, that's it. This is a great archive from Alan Huffman. So we did, we did put, we did put the link out there. So he's got the Atlanta fest, um, Chicago from 1997, 1998. Yeah. So great, great, uh, great little slices of history right there. Um, yeah, good stuff. Good. So, um, anybody else want to chime in on the topic of the community, where it's been, where it's going, or we, have we beat this one to death? Anybody else want to, want to get in on some, on some input and in your experiences being in the community, even yeah, if you're, especially, especially from the people that have just been kind of getting the, cook the last like couple of years, new to the community. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Burnett. Hey, I, uh, kind of what I wanted to mention, <clears throat> excuse me. I've been here months, you know, just a matter of months, uh, not years like uh, some of the others and how I happened upon the group. I'm members of some of the vintage computing groups on Facebook. Uh, and again, I think I mentioned before, I had more than an Apple II 6502 background, but I had a really good friend growing up who had a Coco, uh, and we spent a lot of time on that. And so I just happened across, uh, the TRS-80 color computer uh, Facebook group, joined it, started reading. And, you know, I think the thing I want to mention, you know, as far as encouraging and, and, and letting everyone know, you know, it is encouraging that there will be more people come along. I never owned one, um, uh, but I was familiar with it uh, and still interested in it uh, along with the, the vintage computing. But this group, this group, this community, um, even though it may be smaller, as you go out and you look at some of the Commodore groups, you look at the Apple II groups, things like it's a lot, you know, a lot larger, a lot more people, um, you, you tend to get lost in the conversations and I don't even know if they do anything comparable to this. I've never even joined, but, you know, since I started watching this group, um, on the YouTube live stream, uh, you know, started making a few comments here and there. Um, Oh, look, they, they mentioned my name. They said something, you know, they acknowledged my comment, you know, <laughs> try to make, try to make, you know, intelligent comments because of that. Uh, but yeah, I mean, you're very inclusive and, um, that doesn't mean, you know, you shouldn't give people a hard time for owning an Apple, right? <laughs> that, that comes, oh, that no, comes, we can do that. Go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah, that's... Tell that's Mark he's an idiot. Where's Marco? Yeah. <laughs> that comes with the territory, you know. Buy but, a real uh, computer, Mark. He's got a Coco. He's got a couple yeah. of Cocos, so... He's up okay, here. I think, I think the fact that you are a smaller community, um, and I guess more, you know, almost like cozy, uh, makes you... Um, appeal, the appeal is there. You feel more welcoming. You feel, I felt more welcome as an outsider. I was able to just really join in and uh, hit the ground running. And I had watched, 
you know, for months. And when the uh, Radio Shack grand opening opened up, I'm like, okay, well, this is a chance for me to give back, you know, because I've enjoyed the, the streamcast. So um, if it can, if it can bring me in, you know, there, there, even though other people uh, may not have owned a Coco, may not have had as much experience on the Coco, you know, they, they love the vintage computing. Um, and, you know, that, that was really good that that popped up you know, on Facebook and uh, caught my interest and I decided to come over and join. So, oh, cool. Well, we're glad you did. Yeah. And one, one thing, Joe, I think that you've kind of hit on, and I think Stevie's mentioned but in the past before too, is that the Coco community, we were always an underdog. We weren't the mainstream. And I think that made our community a bit more close-knit because we kind of had to defend ourselves as a whole, even back in, in the glory days, because we were getting outsold by Commodores and Apples and everything else too. And I think in the current situation, in the retro computing community, that hasn't changed. We're still like the minority stakeholder in the, in the retro community, but we tend to we tend to defend ourselves and defend each other, I think, more so than some of these much larger groups where it's a nostalgia that, you know, you might have played games or something on it, but it didn't really have that as special of a meaning as, as it did for us. I, I think you're, you know, you guys both are mentioning, and obviously I'm, it's no secret that I enjoy Commodore machines as well. Um, but after being on, you know, the, watching Coco Talk and, on discord and doing these things i thought well you know what i i we just i just court organically went into those so i'll 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 kind of retrofit and see what comparable things there are in the commodore community and i think we talked about this maybe at another show but it doesn't seem like there's something like this that is uh, dedicated to some of the other platforms i mean we, you know steve does retro talk and that's kind of a all-encompassing thing for, for retro based machines but um, what I found out there was a lot of people talking, especially in the Commodore platform, for instance, a lot of their uh, newscasts or, uh, or, you know, video segments or whatever are mainly like, hey, watch me play Montezuma's Revenge or, or let's talk about the awesomeness that was the Donkey Kong version that ran on the Commodore 64. And I'm sure that's great. I'm sure there's a ton of people that are really excited about that. I'll be honest with you. I enjoyed my computer back in the day, not for games. I always was interested in hooking it up to stuff and, and learning how to write my own programs to help with making me lazy at math or whatever. And so I didn't, uh, I didn't, I didn't play a ton of games. And so nowadays that's just not a big thing. And maybe that's where the focus is for a number of the other platforms is just, Hey, how many cool games can I play on the machine? And for those people who are more interested in the kind of the overall machine and all the stuff that it can do, there's really there, there may not be anything comparable to these types of things um, in the other platforms, so that's a, I guess that's a benefit to being part of this community. Yeah, and I think we we have a pretty good balance because we do have the game playing people too. Like Stevie's Stevie's one of them. I mean, that's the whole reason he got into it. And he's doing video game reviews of Coco stuff too, and that's yeah. All I don't doing. hold that against him too much. <laughs> Well, I know that guy from the UK you know plays games poorly as he advertises and. Uh... <laughs> Back yeah. in the day, I played a lot of games, but I also did a lot of ba I also did a lot of basic programming and mm -hmm. fiddled around with Assembler and a couple other languages. Um, I know the, one of the reasons I got back into it was the games because I really did miss um, did miss those. They were a big part of my uh, how I spent my teen teen years. So, uh, like I said, I found Stevie and, and other people playing Coco games online, uh, which got me back into it. And then I, you know, I, I watched the, I, I took part of the YouTube stream. I, I made comments and stuff. And one day Stevie's like, oh, you should jump on Zoom. 
I'm like thinking to myself, what? I'm not, I'm not a podcaster. Why do you want? <laughs> no, no, neither are any of us. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I was just really Damn impressed with how, with how yeah. inclusive and welcoming uh, this community was in terms of, you know, come on in. Yeah, everybody has a story to tell. Oh, yeah. We all have different perspectives. We all have different uh, things to add. And it's, uh, you guys have become really good friends. And it's, it's, it really is a, uh, really is a big part of, uh, of my, uh, of what I enjoy. So. Yeah. The cool. diversity of the community, I think, is probably one of our biggest strong points, as well as the the encompassing welcome to everybody, no matter what part of the Coco um, array of things you're into. I mean, we can go from having a game special, like we did the, the Dino game yes, last week, uh, to having Urchuk on today to talk about a hardware project using the 6809. I mean, we're, we can go all over the place. There's a yeah. ton of stuff that you can be interested in. And you'll find something you'll like within you know, you know the next couple episodes, no matter what your niche is. Yeah, I'm surprised. Uh, Go ahead. Add a couple of things. Like this is the first time I am involved in, you know, several different uh, communities like this. But this is the first one that had a video, and I think that brings up a different aspect. Like it's more personal. I get to see who's talking, and uh, I hear stories and things like that. But on an email or even like chats, like things happen so fast, or you know, gets lost in all this like tech stuff in here, uh, and. Even though this is my first time I'm joining, like I'm in my in the back of my mind, I will come back here again. Like you know, actually, if I was looking at installing on my phone, that even if I can't be sitting here, and I listen to it in the background, and you know, don't miss this stuff. Yeah, that's great. You're you're definitely welcome. Um, I I agree with that. I I do that a lot because you're right. It it does make it more personal. It feels like you've connected to somebody. It's like you get your weekly dose of, hey, there's a bunch of other people out that are like me, so I'm not that weird. Yeah. yeah well, in your case, I think it's more like, you know, look at all these people I control. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I know, I know early on that the, the term Cocoa Fest Blues was, was mentioned a lot and was kind of a thing because we weren't as connected. Even as the things started to snowball, we got the, you know, uh, the Cocoa Fest 2016 was probably one of the first, you know, kind of renaissance ones where Cocoa Crew and Facebook and everybody got together and, and put a, a spotlight on the community. But then we started talking about right after that, well, now we have the Cocoa Fest Blues, right? Where, well, we got together. It was great. It was euphoric. All these endorphins going yeah, on. But now, but now we're starting to crash, right? So now we're coming back down. Now we have to wait a whole other year to see each other. And I think for even the first maybe two years of this five-year resurgence, that was probably true. But I think now, like, again, because we're doing this on a week, this, this show was kind of a fluke. And it just yeah, let's talk about Coco Fest. It's fun. We're excited, and it just managed to um, continue. And I think the reason why it has continued is for everything you guys were saying about the community. We're diverse. We're a cross section. We've got hardcore hardware people. We've got hardware hardcore software people. We've got living legends. We've got people who've been there from day one. We got newbies. It's a, it's a it's a melting pot. The community is, and the people who the revolving door of this panel are all kind of that cross section of, of of who we are, um, and the fact that we're able to get together um, does I feel is making us feel more connected and more tangible as far as the whole community aspect of that, and I think that's been the success of while we're still here, 123 episodes later, is because we got something to talk about. Uh, and we and we got a reason to get together. Even if we got nothing to talk about, we got a reason to get together. Like I echoed what Nick Marota said. I mean, honestly, it maybe it sounds sad, but this is kind of a highlight of my week to get together because you know I got a whole week of adulting to do. I got all kinds of serious shit to deal with on a daily basis. It's nice for two to three hours 
to not have to worry about all of your other responsibilities in the world and just focus on something else. Um, so, I mean, I look forward to it. I'm not as active as I'd like to be with projects and being on Discord and stuff. So once a week for three hours or so, I get I get my dose, you know. So for me, I, I'm I'm much of a fan. I'm sitting here as a fan um, of the community and and the cocoa, just like everybody else is, you know. It's called so. finding your tribe. <laughs> yes, it really is. Yeah. 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 This or hang out at a bar. Yeah. Well, which is this show is like a weekly uh, computer club meeting, really, where yeah, we all get together and talk. It's it's interactive, just like the real thing. Yeah. Uh, as opposed to just reading web pages or listening to an audio blog, where it's just a one-dimensional conversation. This is like the real thing. You say something, you reply. You you can react straight away. Curtis says something like, OS9 is great. Well, I can get in there and say that. <laughs> <laughs> there is that two-way communication. Yeah, it yeah. It feels yeah. like a real thing. But Nick, yeah, is, aren't you, you control back and forth. It's not just one side. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. But Nick, aren't Powerful. you the Emmy Award-winning creator of the trash can icon in Nitro OS9? Hey. That's, that's when it finally got good, I, I think, is his opinion. Yeah. <laughs> I, that's I think what's that brought is, it up, yeah. Yeah, I think that is very profound because I do remember that was one of the things that I really missed when, you know, back in the 80s when we all had our various platforms and there was a monthly computer meeting. That was just, that was the highlight. I mean, you were probably, most of us were probably teenagers or yep. in middle school or whatnot. And that was, that was like the highlight of the month was going and yeah. being able to converse with other people. And, and after, you know, and, and Curtis mentioned earlier in the other segment about, um, you know, networks and Fidonet, and when I did that as well, but um, just that voice and and the kind of face to face or or virtual face to face interaction um, was lacking in that type of thing, and you just don't realize you miss it until you can find it again, and you're like, crap, I I really enjoyed having that connection with people, um, and it's back again, and that that really helps out my my uh, my mental state. Yeah. Yeah, and and I, and I would just say, I mean, yeah, there there are a lot of perks and pluses to the live and interactive um, format, but there's also something good too about the uh, the pre-recorded podcast too, because it, you can listen to it. It's still got the information. It lacks some of the um, interactivity, or it lacks pretty much all of the interactivity, but it's still, um, you know, still a valid source of content and and consumable stuff to listen to. Especially, uh, it's great for commuting and things like that. So. Um, so that, let's not write that off. Right. So, and then this is great. And this is, this is one of a, of a few great mediums and resources we have as far as broadcasting and content and stuff like that. So, um, uh, but yeah, definitely. Radio star, so. <laughs> um, no, no, I, I definitely enjoy it. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, I think my, and I think one of the things you guys mentioned, you felt, you used the word, you felt welcomed. I mean, I definitely felt welcome. Like when I was starting to do YouTube videos, I had a lot of people commenting on the YouTube videos and that's kind of how I met Curtis and, um, getting some information and, and being, um, being pointed towards the resources like, uh, you know, at that time, the Google Plus page and things like that. And there's a few things. And, and, and I mean, we're already going on three hours, so I'm not sure how much more we want to beat this episode. I do want to get into the Delphi thing. Maybe we won't cover all the news, but some of the stuff we had in the news was um, you, we get people all the time that have just 
just joined Facebook and have all these questions. You know, well, how do I get a floppy drive? How can I do this? How can I do that? Um, and I was that same person. Like all of us say, when you when you get that first cocoa in a garage sale and you go to Google, where do you go? Um, and just to, to toot my horn for one second, the one thing I tried to do was to create that resource, which is I'll plug that website, imacoconut.com, I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T.com, because I, I did that for me because I was trying to keep track of everything. Rather than trying to remember how to bookmark everything and, and not forget, I just started putting stuff on a page. I created a page of links of places to go, and then that page has kind of grown and, and it became a website uh, just to, to try to make it more. I'm not a webmaster, so it's not the best, but it's slightly organized uh, as a resource. So, because um, it becomes a, a voyage of discovery, right? Well, I've just discovered this and I've just discovered that. And so I kind of wanted to document and compile that information. And um, it's fairly up to date, but it could always use some tweaks. So if you want to, if you're new to the community, that's one place to go that will point you to the variety of resources like like the Coco Crew podcast and the Facebook page and other people's blog sites and the color computer mailing list and all that kind of stuff. There, there's a ton of stuff out there. It can, it can almost be overwhelming. For us being an underdog, there is an overwhelming amount of resources <laughs> out there. How do you make sense of it, you know? Um, so, uh, you know, as a longtime user of various 8-bit micros, I don't mind helping new people that come into the, the hobby that picked up a cocoa at a yard sale or a flea market or wherever they they managed or got one one guy's girlfriend's uncle gave him uh a whole bunch of cocoa stuff you know i i don't mind helping people like that because that's where i get pleasure out of helping people get the most out of their computer mm-hmm you know, yeah. so for me, that's fun. Yeah. Speaking of a guy who's got a history going way back, we have Al Hartman from Jersey, everybody. Uh, Al yeah. Hartman's here. Oh, um, yeah. I first started in 1978 with a TRS-80 Model 1. When you were a spry two years old, right? Yes, when I was a spry <laughs> two years old. <laughs> um, I still appreciate Nick and Curtis walking me and mocking me through my yeah. 12K upgrade, so... Yeah, I mean, we could sit here and wax nostalgic forever, um, but yeah, I think I think I think it was good. It was a good idea just to say and um, and, and I know earlier Mark Overholzer uh, quoted something where he's saying basically nothing. There's nothing new under the sun. You know, you're going to see patterns. You're going to see uh, camps and fanboys. You might see divides. You might see factions. Um, uh, these things will probably rise and fall and ebb and flow. But I think the common thread all along, especially when you look at a great resource like uh, Glenside Color Computer Club, uh, you've got this core group of people who are passionate about this computer and about this community and have just kept it alive and kept it going. So if I was to say, you know, if, you, if, you, if you're looking for a role model for the color computer community, uh, try to be like Glenside, you know? It's a great group of go. people. Great group of people who have just kind of gotten together and kept this alive. And, you know, they, they have the annual migration of Cocoa Fest. They've got the picnics. They've got, they've got a real club with real people that meet on a monthly basis that have been doing this for 29 years. You know, that's, that's amazing. All right. So they, they helped organize Rainbow Fest before that, too, with Rainbow Magazine. So they've actually yeah. been doing it a lot longer than that. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, if there's anything that you could say is encapsulating what a great spirit of the community should be, it's definitely it's the Glenside Color Computer well, Club and Coco Fest, right? And and it's the welcoming nature of the community. I'm, yeah. I'm part of various micro communities, and a lot of them they tell new people they're RTFM. Read you read know, the fine them. manual, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah, read the mm-hmm. fine manual. Yeah. They don't yeah. help. They and they they make fun of you if you don't know certain things yeah i don't well, see anyone ever doing that in the coco community well a lot of people make fun of me for not getting past level one so uh well that's different <laughs> yeah you crazy on the rare occasion you do so. <laughs> um all right how about we're, we're gonna we're gonna stop we're gonna stop singing kumbaya now and we're gonna move on are we are we ready to move on would, would yes uh, if, i just if, recommend if, all new game manufacturers start at level two so <laughs> do we so do we one. Do we have any predictions before we move on, before we put this to bed? Do we have predictions based on what we've seen in the past five years? There's been so many things that we not would have. I, I never would have expected this show to last this long. I never would have expected to see a brand new keyboard and the Mega Mini MPI and now Sound Wars. And, well, Nick and um, I were talking in the chat, Nick Marotta and I. Mm-hmm. And one th- prediction I'll make, and I've, and I've heard him say this kind of privately, is that Ed definitely plans to make a coco 3 or coco 3 plus clone at some point a coco replacement a coco replacement and that's going to revitalize the community because, because now you can literally be buy influx. a brand new coco there'll Sign be new machines up. coming in that will yep. have modern features that you can hook into modern monitors they'll use sd cards they'll have better sound they'll, they'll be a, a machine that's attractive to new younger users, okay. but will still have the attraction to us old old farts. Okay. Who, who want to use our old stuff and want to use OS nine level two and Nitrous nine and the, that's what's going to bring in new users. This we Nick and I were talking about the Commodore Mini and now the Maxi that's coming out in nine. It's starting to sound Commodore like uh, feminine products there. For not, uh, so. Yeah, <laughs> but, but basically a whole new Commodore 64 from the ground up uh, coming yeah. out in December. And that brings in a lot of new Commodore people. And I think the if eventually we get to a new Coco um, clone, that's going to revitalize the community and we're going to see a lot more new people interested in the, in the system. Right. And so let me ask you this real quick, and I don't want, I don't want to drag this on too long, but you just touch on something. So a new Coco clone, we've already got two or three Coco clones right now between the FPGA, the Matchbox and the Mister. So what do you think is going to make this one different and more attractive because it's more real hardware, real computer base versus a little magic box? Yeah, I think you, you'll need less, there's less of a barrier to the Commodore 64 mini has less of a barrier to entry than getting a Raspberry Pi and running a Commodore 64 emulator on it. You just turn it on. It's more hardware-ish. Well, yeah. You don't have to be a computer guru. I mean, I, I have not gotten into any of the <clears throat> FPGA-type clones because it just takes so much knowledge to get them up and running. I mean, I read all the time of people, oh, if you program the Flash with this switch not set, it's not going to work. And my system booted yesterday. It's not booting today. I don't want that. I want something like my Coco 3 that turns on. It works. And I never have to really worry about it. You know? Okay. And, 
So you, so you just, think like a Coco 3.5, which has now got the Gimme X and more memory and all these things and the, and the uh, sound chip, all that stuff built in, and you just turn it on and we boot up and we now have this new modern Coco. Um, I, I, I don't disagree that that would be great for new fans and olds, but do you think that would would take us to a whole nother level than where we are now, how we've had this kind of gradual but consistent growth? Do you think we would, yeah, if we were to, if we people, were to graph this, we would spike at that point? People like Nick. Marantis will write games for that new platform. He I don't know about have... that guy. He's a little flaky. Well, he may not write an OS9 game. And he talks funny. Well, yes, he does talk funny. But he would love to have a sound chip. He would love to have a system with a sound chip. And the Gimme X is going to in- introduce new video modes no. that Nick would love to program to. And then you'll see no. other game developers jumping in. Well, on like we a just, we just more capable machine. I don't know if we reported this last week, but the Coco VGA has sold a hundred units. So there's a market now for the Coco VGA, right? Yeah, which is I need which to get is one. which has got an extra modes, right? Sixty-four column modes, programmable character. I'm, I mean, I'm interested I, I, in the, the Coco VGA, but I'd actually have to commit to doing something. But I, I keep um, missing out on the TDP 100s, but I have an old TDP 100. Yeah. That's like this old house. I have to rebuild it from scratch. Yeah. And definitely yeah. one of the things I'm going to put into it is a uh, Coco VGA. There we go. So, so, so predictions would be the, a brand new, all, you know, brand new Coco you can buy with new hardware, but it's got all the compatibility of the old and some forward facing stuff. That's a great prediction. I don't think that's far past the realm of achievability either. Just no, no just noting the track record no, of our all, hardware. All the parts, all the yeah. parts are. Almost, once the Gimme X is done, all the parts are in place. Yeah. And then all that's left is to design a new logic board with all mm. the other supporting components. Yeah, we're almost there. And a case. that That's going to be kind of expensive case. to make a case, right? Unless there's one that already exists, right? So, uh, well, so as far as like 3D printing it, or injection molding, that could be a barrier. But it's I, not... I would love to see an existing case adapted, like a, a mini ATX or something. Or kind even of like a laptop case. or something, you know. A lot of options there. Yeah. All right. All right. We're going to put a fork in this topic, but we can continue this topic on Discord, in the Facebook group, uh, you know, uh, all kinds of places. So we we have these conversations all the time, which is great. Um, um, Cool. We're going to get into some news in just a second here. So we're going to take another commercial break. And then we're going to get into some news, and then we'll get into some. Uh, and I want to. I think I because because the show's running long. Long, I wanted. I want to lead into the news with the Delphi project from Rick. Because Rick is still here, and he's been very gracious to stay awake this whole time for us. So uh, <laughs> we haven't we haven't put him to sleep. Stevie, um, I've, I've actually got a hard out here in about 10, 15 minutes. Okay. All right. So next week we can do that. Yeah. Just- all right. So then we'll just, we're going to, we're going to close on Delphi then and we'll save the news for next week. And maybe, and now we, another thing too, just a little back, you know, behind the scenes stuff. We're trying to get a few more people set up to stream the show as a, as a backup. So Mark, Mark Bosley has been pretty much the primary, but we've got a few guys in the wings who are trying to get set up. So maybe tonight we'll do a test uh, after dark stream to get a few other people set up to broadcast the show and maybe we can do some more um, stuff then tonight so we'll take a break we'll come back we're gonna I want I definitely want to talk about the Delphi because that kind of uh, piggybacks on on the Chet Simpson thing that we talked about last week in the news and now we're seeing a, a front end to the back end so um, speaking of of new hardware um, how about a little bit of a um, Switcheroo, one of the one of the you know leading new hardware products. We're going to run a Switcheroo commercial, and then we'll be back. 
Hey, this is Bruce Moore, author of Force of Doom, and you're watching the original gamer Stevie Strobe. Only the bravest souls enter. Only the most cunning return. Defeat innumerable monsters to ransom the king's scepter stolen by the evil wizard. Your sword, shield, and wits are your only allies. Pray you find a magical inn as your only respite in the forest of doom. For the tiny color computer one, two, and three. November 2017, if you dare. It's a Radio Shack Merry Christmas. Oh, I remember that Christmas. Dad gave me my first shortwave radio from Radio Shack. What memories. This Christmas, we got our son's color computer three from Radio Shack. It hooks right up to our TV and was on sale for less than $130. The color computer three makes learning fun. Jimmy even lets me use it for word process. When he isn't playing computer games. Lucky I still got my shortwave. Save $70 on the sale-priced color computer three. Only at Radio Shack. Hi, it's Ron Delvo, Timberman, and this is Coco Talk. In a world where RGB produces black and white video, one cable can make a difference. Switcheroo. Gogo3scartcable.com Some people have big plans after school. You know what Elliot's gonna do? Jeff, too. Elliot's at work on a book report using Scripsit on Radio Shack's Color Computer 3. It hooks up to his TV. And Jeff's at his Radio Shack Color Computer 3 playing the newest football game. But wait, what's Elliot doing playing new Super Pitfall? And Jeff's having a blast with a new math tutor. You never know what you might try with more than 100 programs for fun and learning. Radio Shack's Color Computer 3 comes with everything you see here. Other items each sold separately. Only at Radio Shack. Alright, and we are back, everyone. So, what we're going to do, because we are already now at um, three hours. Three hours. Imagine that, right? We've been sitting here just singing kumbaya for so long saying how great life is uh, in the coco community now, everybody should join it you should all be a coconut i'm a coconut he's a coconut she's a coconut we're a coconut Would you like wouldn't you like coconut? to be a coconut too all right but we're done patting our backs and we're now just going to talk about we had a lot of news to talk about but we're going to just talk about one right now and since we have mr thank you you're too kind here with us he has started on another project um, which I think is pretty cool, and I'm interested in seeing because I missed out on the Delphi days. So before I bring it up on the big screen, Rick, do you want to just start off by explaining what this project is? And, the, and, and we have a Discord channel for it, too. <laughs> we'll talk about Discord. Right. We'll plug Discord. Um, so tell us what we're about to embark upon here. Okay. Well, as you saw last week, I believe, uh, Chet Simpson had uh, shared that database of all of those old Delphi messages that got dumped off just before they pulled the plug. Um, I'm not sure what his role in that was, 
I, if he like super took the existing data and buffed it up quite a bit, or he buffed it up a little bit, or he just passed it on. I don't, I've asked him about that and he hasn't answered me yet. Uh, so I'm not sure what his role was, but definitely he has passed that on to us. So I took that and I put that uh, in a database on my web host and I made a web interface for it, which is sort of in the very beginning phases. And it's done in a very retro way. And uh, I'm trying to sort of reproduce the experience in all its fantastic frustration of, <laughs> of being oh, logged on to glory. Oh, yeah. yeah, in all yeah the the three hundred baud experience. Yeah, uh, back back in the days when you your terminal program, you know what color did you have on the screen? Well, you had you know you could have any color you wanted as long as it was green. <laughs> and, uh, and maybe you've got the you've got the, the rest the raster lines. Uh, yeah, I've made it look like you know you're looking at uh, Delphi logging on with a CM8 monitor. Uh, I haven't decided whether or not the door is going to be broken yet or not. Um, so I'll pull it up in so just that's... a second. I, I just wanted to say, too, just sort of to put a little bit of context here, too. So when we first interviewed you a couple of years ago, you were our first big celebrity interview. You had told us, you know, you you had a website dedicated to the Colossal Cave Adventure um, mm -hmm. that, you, you know, you were a fan of that. And then the folks from amc who made that series halt and catch fire they had found you mm -hmm. they reached out to you and you ended up creating for them and their website a, a similar thing where you have this kind of vintage wrapped experience where you can play the colossal cave like like you were in an old terminal and so mm -hmm. you're now doing that for delphi for the delphi right. archive that's recently been made available for us right and so that's mm -hmm. kind of the that's kind of what we're doing here and what i'm going to do is i'm going to go ahead and um bring it up full screen and i'm going to refresh the page because when you first come to this page you um it's a very slow like you say in all of its frustratingness and all its frustrating glory so it's kind of a slow burn when you first do it so i'm going to go ahead and hit refresh and here we go so now we are connected to false sauce color computer special interest group uh, group manager Marty Goodman, database manager Rick Adams, and uh, and it's, it's it's just going by so fast. Uh, uh, learn how Did to you use. Throw this. any random disconnects or. Uh, <laughs> 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 nice right. no carrier, no carrier yeah. tech. Yeah. I've got to disconnect you every once in a while. like every five minutes. Disconnect you with a couple of random characters and yeah, no carrier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, so we're here. I've never used yeah. Delphi. What do I do? Well, what you can do is just hit return to get to the next message. Okay. So you can try that. Okay. Uh, I have, I've added a little bit of navigation, not very much. Okay, so this uh, is all, August. All you can do. Of, August yeah. of 85. Uh, all you can do right now is um, you can type in the number of the message that you want to read. Okay. Uh, uh, but a lot of the messages are missing, so you might type in a number that doesn't exist, uh, But which, in which case it'll just go to the next one. Uh, or uh, you can type in any other string, and it will show you the next message that has that string in it. So if okay, you type so in, you know... Rick, if you typed in Rick Adams, it would show you the first message from me. 
Okay, so this was your you you entered uh, on July twenty seventh of nineteen eighty six yep. from Rick Adams. Well, here I am at last. I'm Rick Adams, and I'm extremely glad to be here. I'm a systems programmer who writes Coco games as a hobby, like Temple of Rom, for example. I've also have moderate hardware experience. It'll take me a while to figure this system out, but when I do, I'll see if I can't supply a few uploads. <laughs> I'm here because the one local Cocoa board here folded a while ago, and I missed the fun and interaction of the Cocoa users. P.S. Hey, don't knock Dino Wars. <laughs> it was the game that convinced me that I could make a little money running for candy, <laughs> since it was obviously that they needed help. <laughs> I like Dino Wars. I like Dino Wars too. So uh, we there are a few Dino War fans here. So uh, that's great. So that was your first post. Um, yeah. So we could search for things like that. Uh, Curtis Boyle, were you on Delphi? I did very briefly until I got my first. Bill and what what was your years. name? What was your Delphi name? L Mullet. Uh, probably just Curtis Boyle. I, I didn't do the handle thing. But I don't uh, know if it's not. okay. I, I was on very briefly, so. Okay, here's general information from Wanda and, and Midnight from Marty Goodman to all. Okay, uh, so. It's all about him seeing a movie, it looks like. Okay. I, I, lo I, lo I love the, low, the slow loading of this. So was Delphi kind of like an ANSI terminal type thing where you had this, these bottom top and bottom lines that didn't scroll? No. It wasn't like that at all. It's just that's how I had it programmed for the other project that I did. Okay. So I just kept it. Okay. Okay. Rick, Rick, was it you that did uh, Delphi term? Yeah. And what what special features did you add to that compared to a standard terminal program? Oh boy, I don't remember. Um, it had macro ca ca capacity. Uh, you could do like like you know you can automate your sign on. Uh, you can automate a number of things. Uh, you upload load, obviously. Uh, I don't remember all the things that it could do. Uh, I kept adding features to it, and Marty Goodman would say, you know, I would use Delphi term if it just had this feature. And so I would add that feature. And then he, Marty Goodman would say, that's pretty good. I would use Delphi term. <laughs> feature creep, huh? Yeah. Uh, and eventually I, I like gave up. Okay, so Dave Phillipson. We're going to search for Dave Phillipson. So it's D. Phillipson. D-P-H-I-L-I-P-S-E-N. There's something fascinating about reading these old messages. Yeah, it's like being a voyeur into the past, you know? Mm -hmm. uh, okay, so Dave Phillipson to all. Is. For sale, I have four brand new 128K color computer threes, still in original boxes with manuals, oh. cables, etc. These computers are one. leftovers from a mass <laughs> quantity I made for a special project. I will sell them for $60 each. Oh. Holy crap. Hey, what year was that? That was in 2002. Okay, that's $2,002. Hey, Dave, you still got one of those Cocos? I'll give you 70 <laughs> <laughs> 75 Final offer. Send uh, an email on Delphi. On Delphi. Yeah. <laughs> and so the, the, the uh, underscore, star, underscore, that's the beginning and end of a message. Is that like a, a footer yeah. or a, an indicator? Yep. Yeah. Yep. That's, that's what it looked like. Yeah. Uh, and so I have my Delphi handbook, which has all the commands that were used. Okay. Um, so I'm going to try to, to replicate, you know, those commands. Uh, I'm almost certainly not going to add the, the add and reply commands, which okay. would enable you to leave new messages or, or reply to existing ones. You can start <laughs> a new flame war. 
that, that might open a can of worms. So, uh. Copy shoes way better, man. That's what I'd be putting. No, I'm what what was Dale Lear's handle? I want to look for a Dale Lear post in here. Is it just uh, Dale Lear? All one word. I tried that. D a l e, l e a r. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Post not found. Try. Uh, you had double e in there. D a l. Try it again. E. L. L e. A R. A R. Yeah. Post not found. Oh come on. Uh, Am I doing something wrong? Well, you did uh, say not it. all the messages made it in, right? Well, there are some by him. Okay. So do a one to get to the beginning again. Oh, okay. So from the top of the top of the list. And then, huh? yeah. And then while that's doing that thing, uh, just type in Dale Lear, and it can be it can be lowercase if you want. Okay, archives. Oh, Dale Lair, two P shooter. Okay, so it looks like uh, July nineteenth of eighty six. Okay, so here's. You notice he's talking about OS nine too, right? Okay, this is my first time on the Sig, but I think this is a question I can answer. There are many similarities between Unix and OS nine. OS nine was modeled after Unix. For instance, at the shell level, most of the bread and butter Unix commands have direct OS nine counterparts: cat, cd, print working directory, chmod. My, the Michael Jackson command, Chamad! Uh, echo, date, yeah, cool. Uh, also, can the TSA. Um, can you add the sound of the uh, modem connecting? And even though the, technically the text never made noise when it was being put on the screen, most TV shows tend to play some type of audio yeah. of of the you yeah. know the sound of the characters being put some on the screen. Some of our terminal programs did that too, so yeah. yeah. You, you <laughs> um, no, that's cool. So this is really cool. This is a really cool way to just kind of be a voyeur into the past and talking about the history of the cocoa in the community. This was a big part of it that I missed. So um, yeah, you, if you have nothing better to do on a Saturday. You could sit here and read, uh, you know, read yeah. some some Coco Delphi stuff, right? So mm -hmm. that's cool. And so take, it take is Delphi.rickadams.org, and we've been talking okay. about uh, we've been talking about Discord. So I'll just pull up Discord here real quick. But you know, this is what Discord looks like. You we have voice channels, we've got uh, general channels, we've got down here this. So there's a brand new under projects. There's a brand new channel for the Coco. Uh, Rick Adams, Delph, uh, CocoSig-RickAdams.org. So there's a new channel here. We've got a channel for emulators. We've got a channel for DriveWire for people who want to talk about DriveWire. We've got buy, sell, and trade, people selling stuff. We've got hardware discussions. And we recently just had um, Coco Cat, who's joined, who is actually Atari. Um, uh, what was his name? I don't remember what his name used to be, but yeah, it was it was Atari something, right? So Atari Leaf? Atari, not Atari Leaf, but uh, Atari Vision. Yeah, so Atari Vision is a guy I knew about, you know, a couple of years ago from my doing YouTube stuff. He actually just walked in on one of my live streams, and I and I pointed him here. So he started asking some questions about the the artifact colors being off. So he posted some pictures of what it's looking like, and people have pointed him in the right direction on on where to go to fix these these problems, right? So um, so Discord is a great a great place to come where you have uh, text channels, you got voice channels. There's lot. It's kind of like an IRC thing. It's kind of like a Skype thing. It's a little bit of everything. Um, so check out Discord, and that's just another extension of the of the current Coco community, right? 
So um, there are a lot of resources, right? So, I mean, and, and they all have their pros and cons, right? So there is the uh, Facebook is great, but it's hard to search. You know, there is the Cocoa mailing list, which is good, but it's a little bit techy. So there's lots of different ways to communicate, but uh, I, I think Discord is becoming the new, uh, the kind of the new norm when it comes to getting information in a, in a, in a, bit, in a bit. And and nobody really owns it. So nobody's making any money off of this. None of us here are benefiting from this financially. It's really just it's a community resource for for you to take it or leave it. You know. Um, cool, cool. So, dude, we've been doing this now for. How long? Uh, three and a half hours. Come, coming on three and a half hours. So as much as I'd say this could go on forever, a lot of us have a hard out, and a three and a half hours is probably enough show for one week. Always leave them wanting more, right? So maybe some more tonight, definitely some more next week. If you have nothing better to do on a Saturday, maybe you'll join us next week. Um, I don't know what else to say, but uh, parting thoughts. Uh, L. Curtis Boyle, member of the community. Uh, we haven't we haven't revoked your card, so you're. you're uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, I've still got another uh, week or two of uh, overtime and stuff at work. It's died down a little bit enough that I could come on the show, but uh, once that's finished by the second week of third week of September here, I'll be back on the ease of use beta five, where I've got a whole bunch of new icons. So apparently, I have to get all these games ready to run. Bob <laughs> <laughs> and Nick have made a ton of them. Um, and some other stuff I want to sneak in there too. So uh, we get back to work on that. I don't have a release date yet because I've got to kind of remember where the heck I left off. Okay. Very cool. Rick Adams, parting thoughts. Uh, I don't have any. Okay. There you go. Good enough. Joe Burnett, any parting thoughts, words of wisdom? Yeah, that was a great presentation um, about the project with the Arduino interfacing with the older processors. Um, and I'm always trying to look uh, for ways or projects to encourage the next generation to come in and uh, enjoy the love of assembly language programming and things like that. So thanks for, for that. Appreciate it. Very good. Nick Morota playing Temple of Rome in the background there, representing. Uh, I almost became the I love you guys guy today, but I was able to stay strong. I love you guys, man. We love I you love too. I love you guys. We love oh. you too, man. That's good. Uh, Bill Noble. How, uh, we're, we're wrapping up, Bill. Any parting thoughts? Any Anything you want to tell us about what's going on in your world that uh, we need to know about? Uh, not too much, no. I'm just revamping the database for the ease-of-use boot editor. Ah, yeah. Very cool. Very, very cool. All right. Well, thanks for joining us towards the tail end of the show. Always, always a pleasure to have you here, Bill. Uh, Al Hardman from Jersey. Parting thoughts. Oh. All right. We'll take that as a no. All right. <laughs> We're, we can barely hear you there, Al. Um, this is the best I got right now because um, I put my headset away. Um, my only parting thought is I hope everyone who's in the path of the hurricane is safe. Yep. Yep. Through few days without a problem. Yep. Yeah, definitely. Us on the East Coast, especially in the Southeast, we've got, got our fingers crossed right now. Very, very cool. Nick Marentes, we, we talked about your favorite subject today, hardware. You're a big fan of hardware, especially <laughs> especially hardware that may or may not be supported by anyone. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and OS9. We talked about OS9, too, one of your other favorite topics. 
it's all fun here. So <laughs> to do on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm pretty thoughtless. So. All right. <laughs> all right. <laughs> we'll give David a lad a minute because David, are you still with us? Or are you are you detached? Are you away from keyboard? Going once, David Ladd. Mark Bosley, parting thoughts? No. I mean, this kind of discussion can go on all day, though. I know. I know. It's good. Right, we'll, we'll milk it next week, too. We'll, have a, we'll, we'll, we'll recap what we talked about this week next week. So <laughs> never a shortage of content there. Mark D. Overholzer, kind of like me, new to the community. Any parting thoughts on the community and how your experience has been so far? I love uh, hearing from all the people, and I love the stories listening to you know, Rick Adams talk about his stuff with Dale Lear and uh, the other people he interfaced with, and uh, El Curtis Boyle talking about what they did with OS9 and how they made started Nitrous 9, and uh, Steve Bjork, all the stuff that he did. I mean, just, wow, a lot of really cool history here. So, all right. You know, I especially like Rick's story when uh, Microsoft came to visit his office. <laughs> That was a good one, too. <laughs> Retro Innovations. Well, the bar was set extremely low, and the show worked incredibly hard to miss it. <laughs> oh, Lord have mercy. All right, and our special guest, Air Turk. Thanks for being with us. Thank and you. Hopefully uh, it was interesting for you guys. My, uh, you know, first of all, this is a fun Place, but my biggest takeaway is uh, watch out what you post online because uh, in 30, 40 years, it may be read by a bunch of guys. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, I re read by, be read by your grandkids. Yeah, <laughs> I certainly re regret all those. Uh, I, I was a big member of the Spice Girls fan club online, so I really hope nobody finds those posts of me. So. Uh, <laughs> Which one did you like the best? Steve? Oh, oh, so, uh, Spooky Spice was my spooky favorite. Spice, yeah. yeah, whoever that was. So, anyways, we're going to was it was that? I don't even know if that's the right name. It was oh, Spooky. Scary. Okay, I was close. Spooky Spice or something. <laughs> spunky Spice. All right, uh, all right. So we're gonna play the outro. We're gonna put a fork in this spice. episode, and we'll have final final thoughts after this. This concludes another episode of Coco Talk the world's leading live talk show featuring the Tandy Color Computer. For all things Coco Talk, visit us on the web at cocotalk.live. We'd love to hear from you. Send feedback, suggestions, even segments via email to cocotalk at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the Tandy flame alive. We may be mocked, but we'll never stop, because Coco Talk is rocking the 8 Consider supporting the show with a purchase of merchandise from our retro swag shop at 8bit256.com. If you'd like to become a patron of the show, click the Patreon link at our website at cocotalk.live. Coco Talk is rocking the 8-bit world, keeping the tiny flame. Mocked, 
Cusco Talk would not exist without the community, its cast, crew, and contributors. Thanks go to Curtis Boyle, David Ladd, Mark Overholzer, Grant Leedy, Bruce Moore, Nick Marentes, Ron Delvo, Rick Adams, Jason Riker, Richard Lorbieski, Jim Brain, Tom C., Rob Inman, Mark Bosley, Brian Joyce, Ken Riker, David O'Connor, Brian Weasler, Terry Steggy, Nick Morota, John Strong, and many more, especially to Steve Bjork for production suggestions and James Diffendaffer for making my head explode. Please help support the Coco community by visiting some of its various contributors. A list of resources is available at imacoconut.com. That's I-M-A-C-O-C-O-N-U-T dot com. The Coco Talk theme song is copyright 2008 by D. Bruce Moore and Greg Sheeler. Mixed, mastered, and produced by D. Bruce Moore. Ukulele. That's right. That's one of our love you guys moment right there when we see when we see Nick Morota playing that ukulele, right? <laughs> ukulele has been what the been the glue that's kept this community together all these years. So um and we didn't mention how of, of all the events and festivals we went to, how many of them involved an elevator incident? I believe right now that, that answer is only just one, right? So <laughs> of the twenty nine consecutive Cocoa Fest that we've had. Only one of them has a, had an elevator incident. So we, we got that I going for us. On, we only use venues that are on the ground floor. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yes, yes, yes. It has been zero. Anyway, I've, I've got to get going here, guys. All right, guys. Yeah, we're going to press the button. Thank you all for being here. Thank you, Air Turk, for being our special guest. Please Thank come you. back and see us. And for the rest of us non-special folks, we hope to see you all again sometime soon, too. Almost uh, says I'm special. That's right. So does my bus driver. All right. We're going to press the button now. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>